2: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Monday morning. Plenty of things to get to throughout the course of the show uh we will get to the Eagles um and well we'll start with the Eagles in a couple minutes here. Uh because there's something we need to dive into. Uh some interesting stories coming out this weekend as we do begin our first week in the Post Carson Wentz era. Um so we will uh get to some Eagles related topics. Uh in a few minutes we'll get to some Carson Wentz related topics a-, a little later on in the show. We got to get to the Sixers and and uh, the Flyers who played that that stupid Lake Tahoe game, what a disastrous weekend for the NHL. I mean, could that league be run any more poorly? Did you see what happened on Saturday, Mike? They started a game at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. They had to finish it at, like, 1 in the morning because the ice wasn't was was uh, wasn't uh, frozen. No, it's to do with that. In Lake Tahoe, they had two of these games. They had one Saturday uh, one Sunday. Uh, it was, yeah. I think we had the Avs and the Golden Knights. They had to take, like, a nine-hour
4: intermission. I missed I only, I only checked in for I checked in exactly right when the puck dropped for the Flyers. Yeah. So, so I I missed that.
3: Yeah, and the Sixers tough loss in Toronto. I mean, we'll get to that. It, not overly concerning. A, a bad fourth quarter in which they couldn't make they couldn't make anything in that fourth quarter. That was brutal. And, um by the way, how good is Nick Nurse? Nick Nurse a good coach. Yeah. He is a good coach. And that 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 freaking Boucher guy. My god. Yeah. That guy couldn't miss in the fourth. He wasn't even hitting the rim on those shots. With nothing but net. Uh, so we will get into the Sixers a little later on and some trade deadline discussion because, um, it's pretty evident to me at least that this team as currently constituted, they need some help. Like, I don't know if they need a significant overhaul, uh, but they need some help. So, uh, we'll get to the Sixers, plenty of stuff to get to the highlight of the show, um, is coming way later. So, you, you know, if you need, I'd like you to listen, but if you do need to take a nap, to be up for the 4:45 segment, uh, please do in so, because uh, Mike, I gotta, I gotta get you to tease this early on here. You were, you texted me uh, on Sunday during we were just talking a little bit during the Sixers game. It was actually at halftime, okay. And you are raving about this game check-in. You, you did. You think this is the best game check-in ever?
4: It's, it's gonna rival the. Um... Shelter on base, one with you know with the goat guy.
3: Now he's back with the KMBR boys. Yes, that is and that, is and that plays start.
4: into what like this okay. is going to have everything. It's going to have their stick, It's going to have their, <laughs> these like it's crazy. There's going to be a sequence where they keep asking each other questions and they keep like the you know the ask a question. Gabe changes the subject. Gabe changes back on the next question when they try to get to baseball. It's amazing. Gabe also in the middle of a baseball question gives his take on what is the single greatest gift you can give somebody
3: okay and those those guys are like the you know chuckle fest like they are your prototypical like radio guys like hijinks like, wacky they're like, radio guys.
4: they're like yeah uh, like uh like you like a midday show on a cartoon
3: right <laughs> right uh so we'll get to the gabe check-in later on i'm already excited for it. i don't listen to the gabe check-ins ahead of time so i am i am uh uh, looking forward.
5: I like the stimulation of
3: it. I'm looking forward to that as well. So plenty of things that we need to touch on throughout the course of uh, the show. Uh, but we will begin our and this is this is, you know, kind of different here as we begin our first week in the post Carson Wentz era, which is a relief to many as um, Carson Wentz no longer a member of the Philadelphia Eagles, as everybody out there knows, Um even though my mom didn't know, I called my mom Friday night uh, just to check in, you know, and, and uh, uh I, you know, she asked how my show was the night before. I'm like, it's fine. There's a lot of talk about the trade. And she's like, what trade? I'm like, Carson Wentz got traded on Thursday morning. No, I didn't know that. Uh, I'm like, OK, well, <laughs> do, you, do you not turn on the TV at all? I mean, like, how do you not know that? But uh, she didn't know. Um, But uh, everybody, I'm sure, knows by now that Carson Wentz has been traded, and he is no longer a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. And now the question becomes, where do we go from here? As things are far different than they were prior to the season, you know, before Carson Wentz got benched, before Doug Peterson got fired, uh, before Carson Wentz got traded. And when you look at the 2020 season, Doug and Carson have borne a significant amount of blame for what has gone wrong here. And rightfully so. You know, not just in the media and from the fans, but also in the sense that the organization has moved on from both. I mean, that pretty much tells you the level of culpability that the decision makers in the organization believe that those two guys bear considering they are no longer with the organization. And while Carson Wentz exits and Doug Peterson is removed you would be naive to think that everything is fixed with the Philadelphia Eagles and this is coming from someone who if you've listened to me you know what I think of Carson Wentz and and the fact that that he should bear a ton of responsibility for what happened this season and why this this 2020 year blew up in the Eagles' faces as spectacularly as it did. From his play on the field to his lack of leadership and his relationships with his teammates or or lack of relationships with his teammates, um, he bears a lot of responsibility. And that is primarily on him. There is no doubt about that. But the bottom line is that this organization also bears responsibility for that, for enabling that behavior, and for some of the catastrophic personnel misses in recent years, because you can also say, you know, that part of the reason Carson Wentz regressed to the level that he did was because of, of what was surrounding him, be it the weapons on the offense, which the Eagles bear responsibility for making bad draft choices at those positions and for maybe not getting involved in the sweepstakes for a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. Whether it be, you know, Doug Peterson's coaching and the play calling, not being great, the offensive line, even though the offensive line, I think is, is an issue that in some ways was out of the Eagles control due to the massive rash of injuries that, They suffered. I mean, you look at the fact that if that offensive line was even somewhat healthy, they would have had a competent unit up front. And I am not worried about the offensive line long term as most people are, I think if they come back and you get Jason Kelsey back healthy or Jason Kelsey, hopefully he comes back, he might not. But if you get Lane Johnson back healthy, get Brandon Brooks back healthy, um, I think that's going to be a good unit next year. I'm not too worried about them moving forward. But they were not good this year. And that is clear. But when you look at the people within this organization that should bear blame, for what has gone wrong? Of the major players, the ones that remain, the number of major players within this organization that remain following this season is down to two. Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz are gone, and now it is Jeffrey Lurie and it is Howie Roseman as the two major decision makers within the Philadelphia Eagles organization, the two um, major characters running this organization and leading them into the future. And while both Doug and Carson bear responsibility, Laurie and Roseman are the ones with the majority of the power. And, you know, that's kind of always been the case. I mean, you could make the argument that Carson had as much power as anybody over the last couple of years. But Howie has always had a ton of power. We know that. We know Howie's influence over Jeffrey Lurie and and the close relationship that they have forged. Jeffrey Lurie is the owner of the team. Obviously, that comes with a majority of power, and that will always be the case. And while I hope the Eagles are moving in the right direction and agree with moving on from Wentz, it's hard to be confident in the direction of the franchise, considering the history over the last couple years. And, you know, I think about this as stories come out this weekend, dueling stories, essentially, this weekend on where the blame should lie and where, uh, you know, the main issues reside. From uh, a Jeff McClain piece this weekend that lays out why Howie Roseman has been the one constant in the Eagles' dysfunction over the years. Brandon Lee Gaulton being told by a league source that Roseman is, quote, the sole problem in Philadelphia. On the other side, you have Marcus Hayes writing a piece outlining the ways that Jeffrey Lurie is really the problem with this organization. And, When I look at this, you know, while it's popular and logical to an extent to blame Howie Roseman and in many in my mind, you know, and while the blaming of Howie Roseman is, uh, you know, a popular thing to do and Howie Roseman certainly deserves a level of blame, a significant level of blame for what has gone wrong and how it's gone wrong. In my mind, many of these issues that have hampered the Eagles and that have held them back and that have stunted their growth over the last few years can be mainly attributable to the owner, owner Jeffrey Lurie. And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. But when I look at those two guys, I think Jeffrey Lurie, more than anyone became intoxicated by winning Super Bowl fifty two. You know, we always talk about, you know, the level of arrogance that this organization kind of had following that season. And and it's 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 in many ways undeniable. But people will talk about Howie and and the arrogance on his end. And Wentz. And the arrogance on his end, which certainly was there as well. But in my mind, Jeffrey Lurie is the one that was negatively affected by that championship more than anybody. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie is already an owner that thought very highly of himself. And in many ways, rightfully so. I mean, over uh, a 25-year period, he has had one of the most successful franchises in all sports. Based off wins, based off Winning seasons based off the playoff run, Jeffrey Lurie has ran a very successful organization, very successful franchise, especially in that decade run from 2000 to 2010. Eleven seasons, nine seasons of playoff appearances, five NFC championship games, one Super Bowl appearance. Despite not winning that championship, Jeffrey Lurie has had a, a, a ton of success running the Philadelphia Eagles. He already thought very highly of himself as an owner. And when the Eagles won that Super Bowl in 2017, I believe that that put him over the top. When a guy that already thinks of himself as one of the premier owners in all sports is able to win a championship, especially over that team, the team that he grew up rooting for, the team that, That he saw in New England become the true gold standard in all of sports. To beat that quarterback and that coach and that owner in Robert Kraft, who I'm sure he feels um, a certain sort of rivalry with. I think that championship changed Jeffrey Lurie as an owner. And in a way, that was not positive for the Philadelphia Eagles. And following that Super Bowl victory, Jeffrey Lurie wanted more involvement. I I believe that 100%. And you don't have to look very far to understand exactly how that happens. And we will lay out the ways. But when you look at the issues this team has had over the last couple years, Well, Howie Roseman is the guy who is criticized relentlessly and certainly deserves his level of blame. I do not want this to come off as if I am completely absolving Howie Roseman. I am not. But you look at the issues, you look at the decisions that were made, they have Jeffrey Lurie's fingerprints all over them. Where reports that he was in the draft room, reports that he was the one who wanted J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Whether it is the idea of keeping older players around well beyond their usefulness because of Jeffrey Lurie's personal relationships. Like a Jason Peters, who called Jeffrey Lurie one of his best friends. Whether it is, you know, the infatuation of With Carson Wentz. And when we look at how Carson Wentz had this idea of himself. And ran rampant through this organization. I think it's pretty easy to deduce why. When we hear all these reports about how much Jeffrey Lurie loved Carson Wentz. And Jeffrey Lurie was the one who spearheaded the decision to go up to get Carson Wentz. Back in 2016. That he's had more of a voice in free agency. have more of a voice in the draft, as we mentioned. And when we look at these two guys, because now with Doug and Carson Wentz gone, the focus will shift and the focus will now squarely be on the owner and the general manager to get this corrected. Because 2020, while we can blame Wentz and we can blame Doug, they are gone now. And it's about moving forward. It's about figuring out what is wrong with this organization if the problems still remain. And I do think a significant problem with this organization still remains. But contrary to popular opinion, I do not think that main problem is with Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman has shown that when he is given the ability to do the things he needs to do, when he's given the autonomy to make the decisions that he needs to make, he can be successful. He did it in 2016, he did it in 2017, and I believe he can do it again. But Jeffrey Lurie is, to me, the person who has enabled all these issues the last few years. He has become hands-on. He has become meddlesome. And Marcus Hayes uh, put it perfectly in his piece on Sunday. He called him Jerry Jones Light. And that is what Jeffrey Lurie has become, unfortunately. And that is not a good thing for the Philadelphia Eagles. And we will examine this tonight, but that's where I want to start. When you look at this organization, who do you think is the bigger problem as far as making the critical decisions? Who is the bigger problem with running the Philadelphia Eagles right now as uh, you know, we move on from Carson Wentz? There's no more blaming Carson Wentz. He's out the door. And is he to blame for last season partially? Absolutely. But moving forward, it's those two guys: Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Rosen. Who is the bigger problem with the Philadelphia Eagles? I say Jeffrey Lurie, and I don't think it's that close. 215-592-9494, if you want to get in. 215 592 9494 uh, to join the show. We also will talk some Sixers here um, as they fall to the Toronto or Tampa Bay Raptors. I'm not sure. I guess they're still Toronto Raptors on uh, Sunday night in Tampa Bay. Uh, so we'll talk Sixers as well. Let's actually squeeze in James in Hawk in here once Talk Sixers. What's up, James? Hey, how's it going? Man? What's going on?
6: Hey, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, I like the, um, the Lori. Versus Wentz argument, right?
3: So uh, yeah, I think,
6: sure. yeah. So I think my whole I think my whole issue is so I read the the uh, the Inquirer right, and their whole thing is Wentz was you know so was such a, a a disgusting horrible part of the Philadelphia you know locker room you know and then and then and then you read uh, and then you hear like Mike you know in the afternoons. And it's like, oh, it's it's not Wentz's fault. It's 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 Lori's fault, or or it's Howie's fault, or so. I just want to get your opinion on who you think. also. Well, I, I, I did, didn't. I, didn't I just.
3: I thought I just said that, James.
6: Yeah, but yeah, but but, but really, like who 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 is to blame here?
3: Uh, you're, you're, you're it can't be.
6: Tra- it can't be Carson Wentz's
3: fault. You're, ju- you're. I think you're trolling me here, James. I mean, I kind of just said that for about the last ten minutes.
6: Yeah, sorry. I, I, sorry. Yeah, my bad. I so I, I guess you didn't want part. to talk
3: about the Sixers then.
6: Yeah, I, actually. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about um, the Sixers okay. because I'm, a, I'm so I'm a huge Sixers fan,
0: uh-huh.
6: um, and and I think Joe Embiid might be like obviously people saying he's like second in the race for the MVP this year. Yeah. Um, and so I'm also um, I'm also a St. Joe's guy and they won their second game tonight. And I'm thinking, like, is there ever even a possibility that anyone out- can come out of the A-10 or out of the Big Five that will even play in the NBA again?
3: Well, i got to tell you, James, this is one of the worst calls I've ever received. <laughs>
4: Appreciate it. Thank you. What were you gesturing to? Well, he's a St. Joe's guy, and DeAndre Bembry was and Embiid left and right.
3: Oh, okay, okay. I didn't <laughs> understand the reference there. I, thought it, I didn't know if he was doing a Billy Lang reference or something. I mean, I think he was trolling me with the whole Laurie thing. Yeah, that could have been... Well, I got a little distracted, too. I just spilled my coffee in here, too. So I, oh, uh, yeah, I saw you kept looking at Yeah, well, they, yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, so I'm going to have to clean this up during the break. So I got a little... So I'm sorry, James, if I was a little hard on you during your call. Uh, <laughs> well, it's weird that he like was oblivious to... DeAndre Bembry was. right, <laughs> like,
4: right. He's like yeah. the best St. Joe's player. In
3: the I season. mean, I forgot about DeAndre Bembry, too uh, door, during that game. Has he how many oh, he teams was, did he, he played? Wasn't he fouling and beating yeah, like every play? Yeah, he he did have a lot of fouls. I mean, yeah. I, I that that that's pretty much all I uh, all I have on DeAndre Uh Was what what team was he on? How long ago did he play at St. Joe's?
4: Uh, five six years ago, I'd say. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, that he was on the team that uh, that went toe to toe with Oregon. Okay.
3: Oh, oh right, right, right! A
4: few years ago,
3: yes. Um, and that, and that uh, that fulfills our DeAndre Bembry uh quota for tonight. Right. Hawk talk, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hawk, hawk talk. Uh, 592 9494 if you want to get in. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four if you want to join the show. But Howie Roseman or Jeffrey Lurie, who do you think is the bigger issue with the Philadelphia Eagles? Um, I think it's Lurie, and uh, I I think it's pretty clear. Um, And we'll uh, uh, detail some of the ways in in which I believe uh, that is the case when we return. 215-592-9494.
0: Open line, start the show. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly,
3: in for Big Daddy Graham. Got my spill cleaned up here, so hopefully I I well let's I should probably be keeping this on the on the down low. I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, to Ben's asleep. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> you know we, we do take it seriously. The the spillage in the in the in the in the rooms. That I think that was kind of. Why I, I, I was, got a little mad. I, I do feel bad about the way I, I spoke to James. I feel bad about it because, you know, he said something that I had to get rid of. So I was reaching for the dump. And as I was reaching for the dump button is when I knocked over my coffee cup. Oh, uh, is that how unfolded? Yes, okay. it is. So I guess I kind of. But that hey, I pulled a wentz. I really wentz it where I did something wrong and I held James accountable for it instead of myself. So maybe I'm more uh, like Carson than I, I want to admit. James Groh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. J- sorry, James. I really I really uh, Mike Grohgier or Doug Dia uh, to, to uh, you know, k- kind of, you know, you you know what I mean. Uh, but th- that's what I did because I, I made a mistake and I blamed somebody else. So uh, I'll explain the joke one more time for anybody who didn't get it. But if you want to get in, 215 592 9494 Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Talking about the Eagles organization and the fact that hey, now the Carson Wentz uh, stuff is gone. Carson Wentz is not in Philadelphia anymore, and I believe Carson was you know a big part of the Eagles' issues they had in 2020. But the kind of mismanagement, the the roster mistakes. The the, the the issues that this team have, have had building um, building the team, this goes back several years. And the two guys who were the main decision makers, they're still there. Jeffrey Lurie or Howie Roseman. And this weekend, reports come out, stories come out um, on both of them. And why basically dueling stories on why Howie's the problem and why Jeffrey's the problem. Um, and while they both bear responsibility... Certainly, I think that Jeffrey Lurie is the bigger issue with the with the Eagles organization, and a lot of it has to do with how involved he has gotten. And this is something that I think has specifically increased in the last few years. And I think so much of it is a byproduct of 2017 and Super Bowl 52 and. That inflating Jeffrey Lurie's ego to a point that is unhealthy, where you don't want an owner to be hyper-involved. You don't want an owner who's going to have his hands on everything. It's not not the way you want to build an organization. It's not the way you want to make your decisions. You want the owner to be somebody who hires people he trusts, hires people who are capable, and allows them to do the job that they are hired to do. And I don't think Jeffrey Lurie's been doing that uh, nearly as much over the last few years. Um, and I think a lot of it is the success went to his head. And not just winning a Super Bowl, but beating the Patriots. Because if you know anything about Jeffrey Lurie, I mean, he's from Boston, grew up a Patriots fan. He, in so many ways, I feel like has a, a an envy and a jealousy of what Robert Kraft has has built in Um, in Boston, and I think when he beat the New England Patriots, when his organization was able to pull off that massive upset, I think it made Jeffrey Lurie truly feel like, you know, it was almost like he was knighted as being a football guy. And Jeffrey Lurie, all you got to do is hear hear him speak to know, you know, we're football guys on this show. And you know, a football guy can spot another football guy. Jeffrey Lurie is is no football guy. Howie, I I think Howie's more of a football guy than he gets credit for. So uh, Jeffrey Lurie, in my mind, is the one that is the issue with the Eagles right now. Not Howie Roseman. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's get it started with Patrick in Montana. What's up, Patrick? Thanks for joining us.
7: Oh, TK, just just uh, loving the show tonight from the Inquirer guys to you, and I, and I love your passion. I'm ready, I am I, I want to go out my kitchen and break something right now. <laughs> so you spill something, and, and I'm right with you. And your clarity on, on Jeffrey Lurie, I, I think, is on. And, and I just really appreciate your intensity and, and coming on. And uh, uh, I've really enjoyed you here. You know, it's a two-hour difference here in Montana. And, and every evening, uh, I've I really begun to like I'm about a 30-year listener out of Maryland but I live here north uh, northern Montana now. But uh, well, I, okay. I think you did right. Well,
0: thanks, and, Patrick. I appreciate
7: guys. that. You're from – yeah. You know, because it's yeah. kind of wet country out here. Uh, being the Dakotas and stuff. But uh, I, I think everybody, the, the clarity tonight, it, it's just been, uh, you know, and I always say, well, gosh, you know, but gosh, when are they going to stop talking about West?" And I think tonight it cleared everything up from from the reporters early on about him and you with Jeff and Lori, I think you're dead on. And I just really appreciate you, your entertainment. I, I'm beginning to really love you. I, I've been since the for 30 years, and, and I'm going to go break something, fill something tonight.
3: Well, thank you, it, Patrick.
7: It, I'm right with your passion. I love that you talk about your mother, and I'm and I really I really love you. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate Not it,
3: man. All right, take it easy. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Uh, the the checks in the mail. That's the that's the joke uh, that every sports radio host has got to make when somebody comes uh, calls in and uh and uh praise them like that. But we appreciate Patrick listening uh from Montana. Yeah, that is Carson's Carson's neck of the woods out there. I should have man. I should have asked um, Patrick, uh, you know how they feel about Carson out there, Montana and North Dakota. Are they are they right next to each other? I don't. I. I I don't know. I I, I just kind of look at North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, like they're all just one
4: big like province. I feel like. Uh, yeah, I mean they are adjacent. Yes.
3: Okay. All right. Well, I you know I I, I haven't I haven't studied my my uh, map of the United States uh, very much recently, but I just I just get the sense you know everybody in in that neck of the woods is kind of similar. You know what I mean. Hmm. that's kinda okay. kind, kind um, of all I got there.
4: I'm not gonna generalize people. I don't do that.
3: Well, <laughs> well, 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 well I mean as as far you know, they're they're all that. hunters yeah. and
4: you know, <laughs> <laughs> they like shooting ducks
3: and uh you know, they're all Carson Wentz fans, but so not at Patrick apparently.
4: Somebody sent me a great uh I think it was Instagram or or whatever it was, but uh Jalen Hurts was, you know, is out working out or whatever. Somebody quote tweeted it. I guess it was Twitter and said, uh, Jalen or uh, Carson Wentz is out killing ducks somewhere.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I saw that too. Um, and I, I j- just another funny tweet that I saw. Um, ESP, Elliott Shore Parks, our, uh, Eagles insider here at WIP, uh, he had posted a, uh, a story: Seven ways to fix the Eagles, and it was pretty funny. Ruben Frank quote tweeted it and said, "One sign, jo- re-sign Jordan Matthews. What are the other six? <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. because ESP is the big, uh, is the big J Mac guy. five592 nine five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Harold in Seattle. What's up, Harold? Hey, how's it going? What's going on, man? Hey, that guy from
8: Montana. Tell tell him tell him hi to his sheep. Okay. Tell him what. Say
3: hi to his sheep. Buddy. Okay, his sheep. Okay, w- to to who is that? Somebody you know out there? No, his sheep. Sheep. Oh, he's sheep. sheep. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, sorry. I I'm sorry. I, I have trouble That's hearing what you're okay. saying. It's okay.
8: late. It, okay. The uh, main. Okay, getting with the Eagles. The main problem is people getting hurt, and this runs. This runs through the whole NFL, and that. I predict if they don't do something about it, there's going to come a time pre-Super Bowl week where the starting quarterbacks on both teams are hurt, one great running back and one wide
3: receiver. They need to do something about these injuries. Well, I mean, it's football, Harold. I mean, guys are going to get get hurt. Yeah, but people then used to get, I mean, the Eagles get hurt just by walking on the field. Everybody was hurt last year. Yeah, no, they did have a lot of injuries, but I don't know. And, and the Eagles, uh, I, I do agree with you on the Eagles, where they got to figure out what's going on, why so many guys are getting injured at this kind of a rate. But in general, you know, uh, I don't know what the NFL can do to stop guys from getting getting injured. Man, they could do yoga. If each team did yoga from a professional yoga instructor three times a week, their their injuries would drop fifty percent. You know, you sound like do You sound like Chip Kelly. Are you oh, friends oh, oh, with Chip? Hey, look. Hey, I hate Chip Kelly. Oh, well, this sounds like a, a Chip take. Chip, I think, was hey, big I into hate, the yoga. I hate Chip. To me, he's a, he's a potato chip. Okay. All right. Well, well will, go and ahead. And I will listen to your show, okay? Okay. Thank you, Harold. Appreciate it. We haven't heard from Harold in a while. Harold was a frequent caller during the pandemic. It was nice to hear from, hear from him uh, checking back in there. But... You know, when you look at this organization, um, there is no denying that Jeffrey Laurie's gotten more involved over the last couple of years. And, you know, I went back and I listened to some of the sound from his Zoom conference. And this was the day that he fired Doug Peterson. And, you know, and I know it is so it's gotten like it's gotten like so in my mind, Popular and in so many people's minds, obvious to just blame Howie. That it's almost like it can't just be all Howie. Like and especially when you see Howie's history and how it's conflicted with some of the things the Eagles have done over the last couple years. And there's no doubt in my mind that Jeffrey Lurie has gotten more involved. And here was Jeffrey Lurie back that day where the Eagles fired Doug Peterson talking about his level of involvement over his tenure as Eagles owner,
2: I would say my involvement's been the same for about 25 years. Um, I I think that what I tend to do uh, is to ask a lot of questions and to to understand where we're coming from strategically and um, performance-wise. And it's stood us in a good way because it's allowed me to uh, transition when we've needed to, uh, make coaching decisions that have worked out, um, at least often in the short run or long run, um, and allowed us to be able to have a, a finger on the pulse of what could take place.
3: I mean, you hear that, and it sounds like somebody who thinks he knows everything. And just, I mean, I, I feel like when somebody speaks in so such definitives like that, you know, they can't be telling the 100% truth. And it doesn't make sense what Jeffrey Lurie says when he says my involvement's been the same for 25 years. There's no way that that is true. Like there is no way you can be in, in an owner of a franchise for that long and not have varying levels of involvement over that tenure based on what you think is best for the organization. And What's really interesting to me is, you know, the question that's asked all the time is the Eagles have made all the mistakes. They've all the made all these mistakes with the salary cap. All these mistakes with with the with the draft picks. Why is Howie still here? Why is he still here? Well, the answer I think is pretty clear that the owner is dictating uh, many of these decisions. And I found this one very interesting when Jeffrey Lurie's asked about the draft record uh, and he kind of defends uh, Howie Roseman for some of the picks over the years.
2: I think you really got to look at the big picture of, have you analyzed every single draft pick and street free agent and everybody? Have you compared it to other teams? Have you ever compared it to every other, you know, other successful teams and do they have two, three year uh, drop-offs with less volume uh, are the picks that you're talking about uh, seen in the long run, or just in a, a you know a one one year period? There's a lot to look at there. I'm not uh, disagreeing with anything. I'm just saying you, you gotta really look at it.
3: You know, and when you hear when you hear that comment, and you see it with reports that yeah, Jeffrey Lurie wanted J.J. Arthega Whiteside. There's another thing I'll get to later on where in Marcus Hayes piece. He talks about Jeffrey Lurie became obsessed with the next-gen stats when watching Super Bowl 54 between the Chiefs and the Niners. And the next-gen stats told you that the Chiefs and the 49ers were the two fastest teams in the NFL. And Jeffrey Lurie then decided the Eagles needed to add speed. They needed to add speed more than anything else. And what did they do all offseason? It's all they worried about. When they draft Jalen Rager, and they draft Davion Taylor, and they go out and trade for Marquise Goodwin, and they draft Quez Watkins and John Hightower, guys who who aren't polished NFL receivers, but guys that are fast. And apparently what inspired this whole speed movement was Jeffrey Lurie seeing this one next-gen stats graphic, and that making him decide that speed is the way you need to win in the NFL. And... When I look at this organization and you look at all the moves, it's obvious that Jeffrey Lurie is dictating many of them. And it's not to not to disregard Howie and not to absolve Howie. But it does need to to be factored in when, you know, people are calling for Howie's job and Howie remains I don't believe as close as those two guys are, that Jeffrey Lurie would retain Howie if he thought Howie was doing a bad job. And the bottom line is, Jeffrey Lurie does not think Howie Roseman is doing a bad job because a lot of what Howie Roseman is doing, in my mind, is at the direction of his boss, Jeffrey Lurie. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. When we get back, I have a social media gripe for you also. Kevin and John I will get both you guys when we return. I'm Tom
0: Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom
3: Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to get in, 215 592 Nine four nine four is how you join the show. Um, As we are discussing uh, where the blame should lie with the Philadelphia Eagles between Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, they're the only two left. I mean, at this point, uh, this organization has been purged of all the major figures except them. Whether it's Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson, Jim Schwartz, who you know apparently had a lot of say on what the Eagles did. On the defensive side of the ball, they are all gone now. And the focus will squarely, uh, you know, lie on Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. And uh, naturally, people bash Howie a lot. He's general manager. Um, He's the guy who's held accountable for these decisions, and he should be. But when you look deeper, you really got to understand the role that Jeffrey Lurie plays in all of this. And... Jeffrey Lurie, for a long time, was a very good owner. You know, he had made very few mistakes over the course of his first, what, 25 years here? Probably the biggest one was in 2014 when he took Howie out of power and gave Chip Kelly the reins to his organization. Thankfully, he learned from that very quickly. But after 2017... I think Jeffrey Lurie got way too big a head as to what he was capable of. And it has been um, an issue ever since. And in the 3 o'clock hour, we, we will look more into this. Um, and uh, one thing that is extremely striking is we have somebody, sound from somebody who, one thing we know about this guy is he is not a Howie Roseman fan. He and Howie are not sending each other Christmas cards. Okay. And even this guy's defending Howie. Uh, so we'll get to that in the next segment. But I do want to give you my social media gripe uh, real quick. And this, uh, I am sad to report that we have another challenge making the rounds on Twitter. Now, Mike, you're not on social media. So, or you're not I'm on, on Twitter. Well, you okay. Well, you're not on Twitter. You're on Instagram, right? Yes. Okay. Um,. I am on Instagram, but I've never posted on Instagram. I am just working in the shadows. Okay. I don't know. I just I, I my m- I think my wife wanted to make me to make an account so she could tag me in something. And I, I mean I don't really use it. Okay.
4: Um, next time I'm on, I'll look for you. Okay.
3: Uh, I th- I believe I am the same handle, Tommy Kelly forty four. Tommy right? Midnight forty four. You're <laughs> right. But we have a new challenge, and it's funny because it's the same people. Are the ones that I catch in these challenges. It's like some people live for the social media challenge. I feel like it is like the highlight of of their of their month or their week that when they can see a social media challenge they can they can um, they can chime in on. But it's it's a side by side thing where people will post two pictures and one will be like the face and then the personality. I don't get it. And then the face will be of them. You know, a picture of them. And then the personality will be of, you know, somebody else, like a celebrity or something and whatever they're doing. Like one was like um, the face and it was just somebody smiling. And then the personality, it was like uh, somebody like a woman drinking wine or something like that. Are huh. you seeing are you seeing any of these?
4: Yeah. Uh yeah, so did the face, and it's like, you know, a normal face, and it's the personality is a tiger.
3: Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So, utterly pointless, uh, completely stupid, and I'm sure I'll be looking at these for the next week or so. You know, the face and the personality. So that's our new what, social media group we're dealing with.
4: What would you post for your personality?
3: <laughs> what would I post for my <laughs> personality? I don't know. That's a good question. Um yeah, I'm not sure. Well, according to Al, I'd have to post a, like an old man or something.
4: I know what you should post. What? A picture of Buddy Ryan.
3: A picture of <laughs> Buddy Ryan. No, that is the last thing I. Would... What do I remind you of? But do I give you Buddy that's Ryan? The personality, vibes? though. Yeah, and that's that's another one. Is I am seeing so much uh, with. Uh, stop with the vibes, everybody. With with you know, I'll I'll, I'll see like i will uh, just here for the vibes, and I'll say uh, <laughs> uh, a, a very uh, frequent. Um violator of the vibes is the Sixers organizationally like their social media account will show like a a, a video of like the, the guy sh- during shoot around before a game and it'll be like no no drama just vibes and that that's something that bothers me.
4: Uh Wow, so I just did a search for one uh-huh and um the Sixers digital. Uh, the Sixers are reporter. awful with it. Awful. But she, from her personal yeah, account. Yeah. Yeah. Good morning to Sixers fans and Sixers fans only. Also, good morning to people who are in need of good vibes. Oh, this
3: person is is uh, become a goldmine for gripes. So, uh, you know, we don't mention any names here because we don't want to. Start... Yeah, it's not personal. Right. It's not personal. It's just it, we're, we're just we're just vibing here on the show. And just getting uh, getting gripes, and that's that's what we do is we, we get our gripes and we we uh, air our grievances.
4: It just hits different. It talks.
3: <laughs> shut up. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, let's go to John in Allentown. What's up, John? Okay. Hey, hey. What's going on, man? Did you get
8: picked on when you were in school?
3: Uh, I mean, a little bit. I think everybody gets picked on a, a time or two, right? Well, I never got
8: picked on in school, but oh no, no, um.
3: I'm trying to figure out what your problem is with Buddy Ryan, man. Like Buddy Ryan was a joke. John. Always, I mean, what what do I need this? Buddy, what what the hell did Buddy Ryan ever win? What did he ever win? What did he win? What did he ever do in this town? What? Did, I mean, he had a winning record with the Eagles, dude. He had, a winning, I mean, he had one of the best defenses ever in NFL history. Yeah, and he won no playoff. He also, they were so he good. He won.
8: He also did something that's very important to every. Eagles fan that I know I'm 52 years old he beat the Cowboys oh
3: John stop stop with this phony you
8: Cowboy need stuff. to calm down man you need. no no, you no John I, mean, I, I know I know what it is man he's kind of kind of
3: like a bully type guy and you got picked on in high school but it's okay John I mean, he's, he's you, a bu- he's a bully he never the, won a playoff game like what is I I, I, I want to okay, examine okay. this for a second Listen, John John, no, he might no, not have won a playoff game, but it's okay. It's okay. It's yeah, well, well, what about the fact that so he beat the Cowboys so many times? How about they won? Do you think the Cowboys are that upset that Buddy stopped them on fourth and one? Or whatever? I don't even know if he's the coach then. The, the fact that they were winning Super Bowls, do you think they didn't give a damn upset when he smoked their punter and their their place kicker? Oh yeah, what a tough that? guy. 55-55 <laughs> and one as a head coach, mediocre. Let's let's get let's get let's get past that, okay.
0: I I understand. Let's
8: get past that. Okay, you had questions about Carson Wentz, and you had questions about North Dakota and Montana. Okay, my son works for Verizon out in uh, North Dakota. Um, you know they—he lives forty-five minutes from the Montana border. That's where he goes to shop because same as Delaware, tax-free shopping. So, just to give you an idea how close Montana is to North Dakota, okay, Okay. so right there, boom, boom, boom. And my son met a, a fellow that worked for Carson Wentz. I'm not going to say what he did for him, but their their opinion of Carson Wentz out there is
9: uh, very,
8: very, very, very high. Like he walks, he walks on water in North Dakota. He can <laughs> he can call his shots everywhere.
3: Not surprising.
8: Yeah, yeah. so that's what they think of him. Like, I thought maybe, you know, he'd be one of them guys where, like, oh, he's a up up guy. But he does a lot of uh, charitable work in North Dakota. And they, they, they absolutely love the guy. I mean, I'm not a fan of the guy at all. I think he's known known that for a while now. But they love
9: him. So
3: Yeah, well, John, it's not surprising that he's treated yeah. that way because, you know, that's how he expected to be treated when he was here. So that doesn't surprise me at all.
8: Yep. So... That's the information, right. and TK, please try and get over not not liking Buddy Ryan so yeah. much. It'll make you feel better, buddy.
3: Uh, I got you, John. I appreciate it. Not gonna happen, man. I mean, I like John. I'm a little disappointed. I thought John was a man of sophistication, and you know, I mean, what what Mike? What is it like? And I understand people. You weren't alive during that er- those eras, and maybe I'll be telling my kid, you know, of the Doug Peterson, Nick Foles, and he'll be. He'll be giving me that ah, when I tell him about Doug and Nick. You know, maybe maybe his guy will be Nick Sirianni. I don't know. But. Um, it's just a, such
4: a weird thing to think of, like being a Nick Sirianni guy.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? Maybe Nick yeah. Sirianni will be a great coach. Maybe he's the next Belichick for all we know. The um, next Frank Reich, maybe you will have one yeah, playoff win in right? the next three years. What a resume. Frank Reich has, has built up there in Indy. Um, but, and I brought. We, we were talking about this a little when I was on last night. How. Awkward, is that uh, first meeting going to be an indie between Carson Wentz and Mike Rowe? How awkward
4: is that going to be? Right about that, yeah. Uh,
3: Where you know it's like, kind of got you fired, (laughs) but uh, it's nice to see you. Um, But uh, what is it with these buddy people? Like, what what can they not
4: get over? I felt like John was just putting on an act there. Well, I was just, well, he wanted to mess with you. He
3: surprised me because when he asked if I was picked on, I thought he was going to spin that as like that's why I defend Howie, is that oh, you know how yeah, he Howie's was getting picked. Yeah. Howie's this geek who was shoved in lockers or whatever. I thought that's where he was going. I didn't think he was going to come with the, with the buddy stuff. But I mean, Buddy's such a fake bully. Like all right, yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna, you know we're gonna hurt your guys or whatever the hell Buddy <laughs> did, and then he goes out and he goes 55, 55 and one. A real impressive uh, record resume, uh, so I don't get I I don't get the buddy stuff. I know but, it's something we do a lot here, but it's just it's just crazy to me.
4: I don't know enough about his Arizona tenure. But I would, like I wonder why he was so bad. I mean the card. Like he, maybe they just maybe it's just the roster. But
3: yeah, whatever. but well, well. I mean, I'm shocked he didn't win. He brought, I think he brought Seth with him out there. So you know I I'm, you know Seth you know. Uh, Still waiting on that de coordinator job. Um, But yeah. Whoa. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, he he thinks he could do such a better job than Schwartz. You know, you'd think he'd he'd get a crack by now, Um, but apparently not. But uh, the most overrated tenure of any coach in any sport in the history of this city Buddy Ryan. Fraud, disaster, embarrassment to this city. Um, And I don't want to hear anybody ever put him in the same sentence as Andy Reed. It is uh disrespectful to Andy. It it is wrong and uh Buddy Ryan we should we should have had a Levi for for uh the most overrated coach. And um I I, I may have even voted for Buddy over Chip because people don't even like Chip. <laughs> Buddy didn't coach the century. True. Well, if we're doing all, all time. Okay. Uh but Buddy Buddy o- is the o- most, overrated, most overrated. Uh 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. When we get back, I do want to introduce a little side topic um, based off a movie trailer that I saw. And uh you know, it's there's some movies that are just like they're bad movies. Um, but and for some reason, they they keep bringing you back and, and you enjoy watching them. So I want to uh, get to that. Uh, there's a remake of one of those movies coming out. Uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit. And uh, we will continue with the Jeffrey, Laurie, Howie Roseman debate. Who is more to blame for the Eagles issues? Um, and I want to play some sound for you when we get back. 215-592-9494.
0: I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WYP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom
3: Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. On a Monday morning, open lines if you want to get in. We'll get you right up. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. 215-592-9494. If you want to join and talk about the Sixers, you're welcome to as well. We'll get to the Sixers a little bit this hour. As they lose to Toronto on Sunday night... Whether it's in Toronto, whether it's in Tampa Bay, the Sixers just can't beat the Raptors on the road. And uh, I, I don't know what it is, but their offense in those games uh, is always just a disaster. And in the fourth quarter of this one, I mean, it was it was hard to watch. I mean, the, it wasn't a loss that really, I think, worries you that much. Because Sixers were getting good shots. I mean, they got some good looks in that fourth quarter. Uh, they just weren't making anything. Um, so we will talk more about that and what the Sixers need to do uh, moving forward here because uh, you know you you look at what they did, you look at how Brooklyn is playing and Brooklyn is is getting better. Uh, they are going to be a major factor here and in my mind they're they're the one team in the East that really scares me. Uh, Brooklyn and, and probably Milwaukee, I mean Boston is an absolute. Disaster. And they blow a 24 point lead to the Pelicans on Sunday afternoon and lose that game. They don't look right at all. Um, so, you know, I look at Milwaukee, I look at Brooklyn, uh, Toronto. They don't really concern me. I mean, the Sixers lose this one. They get another shot at them on Tuesday night. But um, uh, if the Sixers played that team in a series, I think they'd win it, and I think they'd win it rather easily. So, uh, we will uh, get more into the Sixers this hour as well, and we will get back to our Eagles discussion in a second here. Um, but I wanted to to throw out a little side topic real quick um, because you know we talk movies sometime on this show, not as much. Like I, I feel like of the overnight hosts, John Johnson is the the TV movie guy. You know, I'm I I, I dabble. I was a big Game of Thrones guy, but John, John Johnson um, is really on it with all the TV and 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 movie stuff. Um, but I saw a trailer uh, this th- this week for a movie that I, it looks like it it like it, it was one of the the coolest trailers I've seen, and it's one of those where you know the movie is probably going to be bad. But you want to watch it because it it brings back like a, a nostalgia type type thing. and it brings me back to a movie that I used to love uh, that was a bad movie like and if I watched it now, I'd probably think, "Wow, this is pretty bad. But at the time, I really enjoyed it as uh, they are making a new uh, adaptation of Mortal Kombat and Watching the trailer, it's just, it's, it's gruesome. It's just all these crazy, you know, kills, uh, each different way. And it's like, you know, if anybody watched the previous Mortal Kombat or played the video game, you know, you know, all about, all about what I'm referring to, but, uh, it's one of those movies that it looks like I can tell the movie is going to be awful, uh, but I'm going to watch it. Um, uh, because it it kind of brings me back to the original Mortal Kombat, and I used to like that movie. Uh, when I was younger, so um, if you want to get on that, like, um, <laughs> a movie in which you, you see the trailer and you know it's probably not going to be a good movie, uh, but you want to see it anyway. Uh, that that I wanted to throw that out there as well, off the Mortal Kombat trailer uh, that I saw. The other day is they're remaking that movie once again. 215 592 9494. If you want to get in, 215 592 9494. But uh, talking about the Eagles tonight and the fact that Doug Peterson, Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz, they are both gone from the organization. And the two main figures that remain are the ones that the focus is going to fall on now. For as much blame was laid at both those guys' feet by, you know, media, by the fans, uh, and ultimately by the organization, Doug and Carson were the two guys that were held uh, accountable. Doug more than anybody because Doug got fired. You know, Doug doesn't have a job right now. Carson went, um, you know, partially due to his wanting to no longer be in Philadelphia but also the Eagles realizing that the Carson Wentz tenure in Philadelphia was no longer something that was tenable. Carson Wentz is gone as well. And now when you look at the future of this organization, you are going to look at Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie in terms of the decision-making and who is truly accountable for those decisions. And I understand that blaming Howie at every turn, is a very popular thing. And I feel like it's something people have just kind of defaulted to at this point. But you got to look deeper into these decisions. And while Howie certainly deserves a level of blame, a lot of these decisions also have Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Lurie's fingerprints all over. And when you look at Howie, I believe he is largely doing what he is told. And you got to look at it from his perspective, in a way, because Howie's job as he sees it is different than how we see Howie's job. We see Howie's job as building the Eagles, building the roster, building the football team, and building the best roster and group of personnel possible. And yeah. By definition, that is his job. But Howie Roseman views his job as pleasing Jeffrey Lurie. And, you know, he can say that he doesn't worry about his job security. He said it a few weeks ago that I'm not worried about my job. I'm just worried about, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles. That's not true. And I don't think that's that's crazy. And I don't even fault Howie for that because everybody in any line of work is worried about their job security. And everybody is worried about whether they're going to have a job next year, the year after that, and moving forward. And, of course, how he's worried about his job security. And with every decision he makes, he's also worried about how Jeffrey Lurie is going to view that decision. And how Jeffrey Lurie impacts that decision and the effect Jeffrey Lurie has in the decision-making process. And yes, while his job is to run the football operations, um, it is also to please the owner who is by definition his boss. And, you know, again, I went back to Jeffrey Lurie and when he fired Doug Peterson, the day that he fired Doug Peterson, the day that he decided to move on and hold Doug accountable for, for that decision. And for this 2020 season, and here is Jeffrey Lurie on. Uh, and when when you look at the decision making process and the areas where the Eagles have gone wrong, in many in many ways, a lot of it has been keeping around older players. And when you look at that aspect of it specifically, I think you can look at Jeffrey Lurie as. The driving force behind those decisions. Here's Jeffrey Lurie uh, talking about those decisions to keep older players around the last couple of years.
2: I think where we're at is we made a lot of decisions to try to accomplish bringing the first Lombardi Trophy to Philadelphia, and that started in 2016, but it continued into 2017, and certainly afterwards, um, if there were significant, I would say strategic mistakes. They were made in the name of trying to hold the band together, kind of bring back the band together.
3: And you look at that and it's obvious that that was the case. When you look at bringing back a Jason Peters, bringing back, you know, even though he wasn't a part of 2017 Eagles, a Deshaun Jackson guys, that Jeffrey Lurie had relationships with. I mean, Jason Peters referred to Jeffrey Lurie as one of his best friends. Like, Jeffrey Lurie, I feel like, has a sentimental attachment to a lot of these guys. And when you look at the fact that the Eagles decided they wanted to bring everybody back and they wanted to hang on to what was 2017, I feel like that was more Jeffrey Lurie-driven than it was Howie Roseman-driven. You can look at the drafts and the issues that the Eagles have had there. And the question is always, why is Howie Roseman still here? Well, why do you think he's still here? The owner is obviously pleased with the job that he is doing. And the owner is clearly, you know, in some ways at least, understanding and uh, appreciative of the job how he is done. And when you look at these draft picks and the the misses that the Eagles have had, and there have been a, a number of them, for sure. But Jeffrey Lurie, is involved in that and Jeffrey Lurie has gotten more involved in that over the last few years and I really think since 2017 has truly uh put more of his hands in the football operations uh department and the player evaluation department here's Jeffrey Lurie on what he sees when he evaluates for an
2: office you take whichever organization you want and look at it over a a multi-year period uh, you're going to see highs and lows of drafting you're going to see highs and lows of free agent acquisition and you're going to have to make your own determination of do they have the right people in the building is that two years of of not having good first round picks is that related to the people in the building or is that because the the two players that they actually were going to draft got taken just before and they're all pro players in the league what, what got to be much more, I have to be much more in depth and complex about the analysis. Um, luckily for me, I sit there and I get to see exactly what took place and takes place. And, um, you know, maybe someday I'll write a book about it.
3: May, well, maybe someday I'll write a book about it. Uh, about what takes place in the Eagles draft room. But, you know, you, you hear that right there. Jeffrey Lurie talking about, yeah, I get to see. I get to see the process. I don't think Jeffrey Lurie's just sitting there idly and not taking account of what's going on. He has his hands in it. I mean, it's been reported. The Marcus Hayes um piece on Sunday, if you haven't read it, go, go look at it because there is a great anecdote there of Jeffrey Lurie, watching Super Bowl 54 with the Chiefs and the 49ers. And the fact that in that game, they flash up like a next-gen next stats uh, graphic where the Chiefs and the 49ers are the uh, fastest teams in the NFL. And Jeffrey Lurie became obsessed with the fact that, that they need speed. You know, it, it says a source, uh, says that Jeffrey Lurie watched that game And uh, saw Tyreek Hill and Raheem Mostert, who the Eagles had in cut, and said, we need that. And I said to Howie, I want that. So when Jalen Rager runs a 40-yard dash faster than anybody else, that's what the Eagles go and get. And you look at the emphasis that they had on speed all last offseason. When you draft Jalen Rager, you draft Davion Taylor, You you trade for Marquise Goodwin, who opted out. You draft Quez Watkins, you draft John Hightower, all these guys. It tells you that Jeffrey Lurie is way more involved uh, than he should be, than any owner should be. It's not healthy for an owner to be that involved in personnel. You're supposed to hire a guy that you trust, hire people that you trust, and allow them uh, to do the job. And in many ways, you know, I think that led the Eagles to taking a guy like Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson in the draft because strictly he was fast and because Jeffrey Lurie wanted speed. But you look at it even more, and this one to me is uh, the most, I guess, damning, um, uh, uh, damning comment against Jeffrey Lurie because I was listening to the morning show on Friday, and they were joined by the gridiron genius, Mike Lombardi, as he has dubbed himself and and uh, likes to call himself. But Mike Lombardi was on the morning show, and Mike Lombardi and Howie Roseman, I just uh, reading between the lines. I don't think they are very close. Like I don't think these are guys who are meeting up, uh, you know, when it's safe um, before COVID. I don't think these are guys that are meeting at the bar for beer, so to speak. Um, Mike Lombardi is is not a huge fan of Howie. But when asked that question that we have been asking as to why is Howie Roseman still here, here was Mike Lombardi's response.
10: I don't think that's a really hard question to answer, Angelo. I think that he's doing exactly what the owner wants him to do. You know, people view Howie as an independent contractor. People view Howie as having this power to do anything he wants to do I think if you look at the way they make decisions in the Eagles I think the owner's involved and I think these decisions come as much from him as they come from howie in a group collaborative effort ben, you, you know, know. I, I I don't think it's I don't think this is if this was a dictatorship and it was just one person it wouldn't be too hard to figure
3: out look we got to make a change right. but it's not right. it's it's collaboration and that's exactly what it is and yet yeah, it's collaboration. But who do you think really has the final word? Like, Howie might be the head of player personnel, but Jeffrey Lurie outranks Howie Roseman. And that's pretty clear. The owner outranks everybody. And that's why you need an owner who is not going to exercise that power. You need an owner who is going to hire people he trusts, hire people that he respects to do the job. And he needs to take a step back Understand that he's not a football guy. He's not a player evaluation person. And allow Howie Roseman to, to do what he does best. Because the results you've gotten in the past when you have allowed Howie Roseman to run the show have been pretty good. 2016-2017. Ever since then, this organization has had a lot of issues. Whether it is bringing older players back, whether it is overcorrecting every single year, whether it is you know messing up drafts, as I said, bring back older players. And Jeffrey Lurie is responsible uh, for much of that. And Jeffrey Lurie, I believe, ever since winning the Super Bowl, has had his ego inflated way more than anybody else. He has his hands in everything, and he, in my mind, is the primary reason why the Philadelphia Eagles have suffered in their decision-making and in their team-building over the last few years. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Open lines right now uh, here in the 3 o'clock hour. So you are welcome to join the show if you want to get in on the Eagles conversation, talking about Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman as stories coming out this weekend, Marcus Hayes, Jeff McClain, each pinpointing, um, one pinpointing Lurie, one pinpointing Howie as the main issue that remains with the Eagles. I believe it's Lurie, um, but would love to get your take. 215 When we get back, we will talk a little bit about the Sixers as they fall to Toronto on Sunday night and what they should do with the trade deadline approaching. And also, um, I want to compare uh, a couple athletes in this city. Well, one who's still in this city, the other one no longer. Um, but uh, how they respond have responded to criticism, and I think it tells you a lot on how certain guys can succeed in this city and others just aren't cut out for it. So we'll get to that
0: next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
3: Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. Open lines if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. Uh, you just heard uh, the the winners of the Levi's will be announced this week. So I guess there's 15 categories. So I think we're doing three a day. Um, I believe that's how it's being done. So we'll look at it a little bit. Do we know which ones are being announced on uh, Monday, um, we'll, we'll try to figure that out, but, uh, which, which categories are being announced on Monday, Mike? Do you know?
4: I'm not sure. Uh, so the big one is, uh, the franchise. Okay. That'll be, I think seven. Okay. Um, I'm looking at the other two. I want to say the Sixers one, I think comes out in the afternoons. All right. Um, and then in, let's see. This is great right uh, Midday is well, the best trade.
3: I, sorry, I was I just uh, figured you know you might know you were involved with the Levi's, so I, th- I thought you you might you might know. My bad. Um, but we will. uh we'll, maybe we'll predict some of next year's Levi's uh, before we get out of here because you know this will become a yearly award now. Um, so yeah, we'll maybe predict some of next year's Levi's uh, before we get out of here on the show this morning. Uh, but if you want to get in two one five five nine two. 9494 nine, four, talking about the Eagles um and the Jeffrey Lurie versus Howie Roseman uh blame game right now. Uh as we look at the organization and with Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson gone, these are the two figures uh that are now going to be focused on. And um while Howie gets a lot of the blame, I think a lot of what Howie is doing and has done is at the behest and at the uh direction of Jeffrey Lurie. And Jeffrey Lurie, um, I feel his ego has gotten so out of control since winning Super Bowl 52, uh, beating the Patriots, the organization that he has worshipped, the organization that he has tried to model himself after. I think Robert Kraft is um, somebody who he has kind of a, a self-made rivalry with. I mean, by success purposes, not much of a rivalry. Um, but beating that organization in a Super Bowl, I think was something that Jeffrey Lurie valued very highly. And, you know, I think it's led to him getting way too involved in football operations. And when you ask why Howie's still here, uh, the answer's pretty simple. Jeffrey Lurie is pleased with his performance. We might not be. And I, you certainly have plenty of reasons not to be, uh, but he's obviously doing something that Jeffrey Lurie, um, likes. And that leads me to believe he's just doing a lot of stuff, uh, that Jeffrey Lurie, uh, wants him to do as Mike Lombardi, uh, said on the morning show on Friday, 215-592-9494. Um, but I do want to uh, turn it for a second and look at the Sixers uh, as they lose to Toronto in Tampa Bay on Sunday night. And It was one of those games where, you know, it, it was disappointing. I mean, the Sixers led this game pretty much the entire way. Uh, they were up double digits in the third quarter, and it seemed like they were going to kind of coach to a win. Ben Simmons was playing well. Ben Simmons, um, again, continues to attack the rim which is so important. I've always said uh, that's so much more important than the jump shooting. People bring up the jump shot all the time. It's idiotic. Like, I don't know why you want a guy who can't shoot threes to shoot more threes. It's 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 the most idiotic thing, and I've never understood it. It's just people who don't know anything about basketball just, you know, uh, he's got to shoot. No, he's got to go to the line and make his free throws. And he has done a much better job of that recently his free free throw percentage is, is rising daily in this game he didn't miss a couple key ones late um Game's but in, probably over right but they, they were they, they were a couple free throws that that could have kept the sixers in that game yeah and you know Ben Simmons um was aggressive going to the basket and that's always what you need to see uh from him and It's the key to him having long-term success. So, you know, it's one of those frustrating games. Sixers lead pretty much the entire way, and they just have a fourth quarter where they can't make a shot. I mean, they're getting some good looks. Seth Curry couldn't make anything in this game. Uh, Tobias Harris struggled from the field, and you just chalk it up to you didn't make anything in the fourth quarter. You move on. You play Toronto again on Tuesday, and hopefully – Um, You get the win on Tuesday. You figure sweeping them down there is probably going to be difficult uh, to begin with. So hopefully you can just go out there Tuesday, get a win, and and split. But you look now at the NBA trade deadline, and I think this team needs uh, to be improved. Like I don't believe the Sixers, as currently constituted, can reach the NBA Finals. I don't think they can get by Brooklyn. Um, I think they could beat pretty much everybody else. Uh, Miami's starting to play a little better, um, but I would love to see the Sixers play Miami just from a, a rivalry standpoint. Would love to love to see it, um, as they say on social media. And, and make Jimmy Butler, up, up close and personal, regret leaving Joel Embiid. Do you think there's any, Mike, do you think there's any regrets on Jimmy's part now? with Seeing Embiid have the kind of season that he's having? And to think that that if he's really uh, all about winning, as he says he is, that he left you know potentially the best player in the NBA for the next three to five years. He almost won last year, like he he did, he but was he so, like he did, but he didn't. I mean, yeah. they 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 didn't end up winning. And no. he was they, so they, good they, in the finals, though. He was. Yeah, you're right. He probably doesn't regret it. He's down in
4: Miami. He's probably enjoying yeah. himself. But um, he's, he's got uh, Taylor Swift now. What you know, chasing him? Yeah, is that true? She said something. To, she like rated him a thirteen out of ten. I think.
3: Well, I thought it was. A, I know he was hooking up with Selena Gomez before, mm. and I think they're like they're they're, they're like good friends. Hmm. Good. Hey, good for Jimmy, man. I don't. You know that that's that's good for him. Um, J- Jimmy, the ladies man. I didn't know Jimmy was such a ladies man until recently. He's a pretty um, good looking guy. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he is. Um. So we're we're. You don't we're, want to this, admit it. this is this is, I love where the show is gone post Carson Wentz. <laughs> now we're talking about you know Jimmy Butler. He's a pretty good looking <laughs> guy. He should do well. Yeah. Yeah. J, you know Jimmy. <laughs> Jim, Jimmy is a good looking dude. So you know Jimmy and he moves from Selena onto Taylor. Good for him, man. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fold him for that. Jimmy's <laughs> got moves. <laughs> Jimmy does, Jimmy does got moves, uh, and uh, he's got got a nice pair of sneakers too. Um, but. Uh, You look at the Sixers now, and I think they need an upgrade as we move toward the deadline. Certainly need to upgrade the bench, um, but I would like to see a major swing. And I texted you the other night about this, Mike. Now, I know this guy's been mentioned in trade rumors before. Do you think there's any chance? Like, I'm watching that game Friday night, and I'm just thinking, I would love to to get Zach Levine on the sick. Is there any way the Bulls would consider trading him in your mind? He's been talked yeah. about before in rumors.
4: Yeah, if I were them, I think you can kind of you can flip him for stuff because then you can still work with Kobe White and Carter and and Patrick Williams. That
3: you'd probably be rebuilding all those like, ACC guys. Yeah, and like then, if like the deal I was thinking about, and you know it would be mortgaging your future, but I would mortgage the future. Like if I'm Daryl Morey. I am all about now. It's all about this year and the next two, which that's Joel Embiid's contract. And you got to try to win, while you know you have Joel Embiid in Philadelphia, and you got to try to keep Joel Embiid in Philadelphia. Because as much as you like this city, I think Joel Embiid wants to win a championship. And if he doesn't think that's going to happen here, he's going to leave because that's what NBA players do. Um, well, I would Giannis. Yeah, yeah, but Giannis is the exception. Like, I don't think... Lately, yeah. And, and, and say in three years, if Giannis doesn't win a championship, I don't think Joel Embiid would necessarily stay. Uh, you know, he probably would go and maybe meet up with Jimmy Butler down in Miami. Um, but, you know, I would go to Chicago, and I would say Tyrese Maxey, you know, you give him Danny Green's contract for the, for the contracts to match up, and I'd say two first-round picks... Three swaps, your next five years of first-round picks essentially. Do you think the Bulls entertain that offer?
4: They should, yeah. I mean, that's that's a franchise altering altering move. Yeah, you wouldn't do that though, right?
3: No, you, no, you, you no, would no. I wouldn't not, do that at all. No. You don't. You, wh- why not?
4: If I may ask. Well, for one, I'm I'm just in general, I'm just sick of like the fantasy basketball. Thing. Like, I'm just sick of every every six months we just blow up the Sixers rotation and. And change the starting lineup, and it's it's. I'm just sick of it. Like, there's no continuity. That's not good for anyone. And I just I don't like I don't like the idea of going because at that point, cap wise, you're going all in on four players.
3: That's but that's what the NBA is, though. I mean, that's mm, what every team, every good team does.
4: No, the Lakers and Raptors weren't like that.
3: Yeah, they're the like the exceptions, though. I mean, they're, look they're a, the last two winners. Look at what the Warriors did, though. They had their the cap exception. tied up in no, the four
4: players. They're the exception.
3: Uh I I don't know about that. I mean, they they were they were basically a dynasty for 5 years. It worked out pretty well for them,
4: I guess. But like the the teams that were right there with them though, like the Cavs and the Rockets, like those were teams.
3: Now, do you think the Sixers can really stick with Brooklyn in a 7-game series though? Do you think they can yeah, score they with could. them? I don't think well, they I, can. Well, they can defend with them though. Right, but in the end, you know, K- KD's going to get his points. James Harden, unless it's Game Seven, is going to get his points. <laughs> or so uh, Ky- Kyrie is going to is going to be able to score. Like mm. you're you're going to need those I don't, guys. You know what?
4: The, they've had the Embiid and Simmons through the years have had success defending Kyrie.
3: Yeah, but but you don't. I feel like they need that extra scoring punch. I mean, if you come out that come at Brooklyn and you have a lineup, I mean, just think of the starting lineup: Ben Simmons, Zach Levine, Tobias Harris. Joel Embiid and Seth Curry. I mean, that is a, that's a starting five that I feel like is pretty damn unstoppable. With Shake Milton nah, coming off the bench, the... I mean, that I think that's a better starting five than Brooklyn.
4: Like, now you're talking about Zach Levine like he's James Harden.
3: Zach Levine can fill it up. He can give you 30 every night. He's averaging 30 a game this year. Yeah, no
4: no doubt. He's a good player. I just, I don't know, kind of feels like a bad, you know, like he gets good stats for like, you know, these, these games they all lose. I yeah,
3: he's on a bad I, team. I mean, his yeah, second-best like, player is Kobe White. What does that tell you?
4: I guess. I mean, at the end, to me, at the end of the day, Zach Levine doesn't swing an NBA championship enough for me to, like, blow up my future.
3: On this team, I think he would. Uh, I think he would. I think it would—the person it would negatively affect would be Tobias Harris, I think, because he'd go back to be playing kind of the role that he played when Jimmy was here, um, which— you know, hopefully he'd be able to adapt and do that. I just think this team needs more punch. I I I, I really like the Sixers team. I think they have a chance to go to the finals. I just don't think they have enough firepower right now.
4: Yeah, I mean, you you hired this coach, he, he seems like a good coach, Doc Rivers. You hired him for a reason. Like I, I would rather just coach up the, the young guards and like build a program. Like coach up Dyble, Joe, Milton, um, Maxie. I'm... And just let's go. Let's build a deep program and let's play.
3: And by the way, I, I texted you this tonight. I think you were right about Matisse. I, I was yeah. too high on Matisse Steibel. He he is he is so frustrating to watch. Like he is one of the dumbest players. And he commits fouls so all weird. the. Yeah. He commits fouls all the time. I
4: mean, he's just he's just very frustrating. It just I don't know. It just he just strikes me as like the maturity is not there. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Stauskas. And it just tells you
3: about like the state of their rotation right now when you have Isaiah Joe playing in crunch time, uh, you know, you just don't have an en- uh, you don't have enough. Well, Danny Green couldn't take
4: that. Six he was foul. he was fouled that out, six out, right? Foul, yeah. yeah.
3: But um I want to know whether you think the Sixers need to need to do something big at the deadline. Like I you definitely need to upgrade the bench. There's no doubt about that. But um if there is a big move out there to be made, uh, I'd love to see it. And um, Daryl Morey apparently has been active, uh, looking for a, a big deal if it can be made. And I'd, I'd call Chicago and I'd see uh, what they would be willing to discuss. You know, uh, I know they're never really an organization that goes the rebuild tank route. But if you offer, you know, Maxie and a bunch of picks, uh, it might be something they consider. So, well, not At that point, wouldn't I just want Brad Beal? Yeah, I don't think you're. I don't think he's going to get moved though, and I think it would cost more, even more than Levine.
4: I know, but I'm just, like, if I'm just going to give up all my future picks, I might as well just add in like one or two more and just get Beal.
3: Yeah, I just, I don't think he's going to get traded, but uh, yeah, I'd obviously rather go that route. Uh, but assuming he's not available, um, I'd give Chicago a call about Levine two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Let's go to Art in the Northeast. What's up, Art?
0: E okay. K.
11: What's going How you on, doing, buddy? How's it going, Art? Uh, I wasn't going to call in. I was just going to listen and enjoy your show, but as soon as I have two two topics to, mm-hmm. uh, to make with you. As soon as you mentioned one of them being Jeffrey Lurie, it just got me going and I had to call in because not only do I agree with you about the damage he does to this organization and how his ego has gotten ridiculous, um, I thought he's He's sort of been this way to a degree all along, but he's gotten uh, way worse uh, since the Super Bowl. And he single-handedly, everybody likes to blame Howie Rose for everything. Howie Howie Roseman. Right. I think that Laurie has been calling more of the shots than we know of. And as bad as uh, Howie's been, um, I would blame Laurie even more. Because, like I say, I think he's been calling more of the shots. And the reason you you, you hit the nail on the head, he'd never fire Roseman, is because uh, he's his yes man. And um, I just think Lori's just a terrible owner because he meddles too much, and I don't think he knows anything about football.
3: Well, well, this is the thing, Art. I don't think he was a terrible owner. I think he is now. Like, I don't think this was a problem with Jeffrey Lurie until the Eagles won the Super Bowl. But, you know, we talk about the egos within that organization, and, you know, obviously Carson Wentz's ego after that year, and Howie Roseman's ego after that year. But I think Jeffrey Lurie, more than anybody – Thought he was responsible. He is this genius, and I think it's a, a he. Ever since then, he has become this hands-on, meddlesome guy that I don't think he was before.
11: I agree with you, and his uh, love for uh, the craft uh, institution up in New England is—it's very obvious. He he wants to be another Robert Kraft, and and uh, it's it, it, I just I, I'm just tired of worry. I wish he didn't own the team. Let me go over to the sixers, sure um, and this is my opinion that they are not going anywhere um they they I don't see them being able to compete with look, they were just on the west coast uh typically uh they had a miserable trip. Brooklyn goes on the west coast, they sweep everybody, they beat the Lakers they beat the Clippers, they beat Portland, Um, I believe they beat Phoenix. Uh, All the teams that the Sixers can't beat, they beat. The Sixers can't beat good teams. Um, As much as, um, you know, Embiid has been playing out of this world, Um, Simmons has had a few good games, they just don't have depth, TK. Um, I personally believe Daryl Morey has been overrated. I don 't think he's really done anything, and I had an argument with uh, a friendly argument with Jody Mack the other night. He sees telling me, "Well Morey's only been here six months right okay, I really believe he missed the boat. Uh, when if if he had a chance to get hardened, um, it would have been it would have been such a difference on this team if they could have gotten harder. Instead, he goes to Brooklyn. Brooklyn will be in the NBA Finals, um, my opinion. Uh And I I believe they will. If any team has a chance of beating the Lakers when the Lakers get back. um, uh, Anthony Anthony Davis. Yeah, thank you, Anthony Davis. Yep. If any team has a chance to beat them, I don't think it, I don't think the Clippers are that great. Uh I think the Lakers are better than the Clippers. Yeah. The Clippers are real good, don't get me wrong. Um but uh Brooklyn I, I mean they're yeah, I hate to say it because I'm not a fan. Uh but they're unbelievable. And one more point, uh-huh. um I think Zach Levine would be a big addition here.
3: Yeah, I agree with I agree with you. Hey. no so sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Got to hit the break. But yeah, I, I do too. And I would rather you know go get Zach Levine for a bunch of picks than than trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. Like, um, you know, yeah. I mean, party does wish the Sixers had Harden, but I mean, Ben Simmons is looks like he's taking his game to another level. Joel Embiid has taken his game to another level. Tobias Harris even has taken his game to another level, and that is even more reason why the window for this team is now and why they need to do everything they can to capitalize on this opportunity that is in front of them. So when we get back, I, I do want to touch on something um, with Joel Embiid, something that he said the other night uh, that really resonated and in many ways uh, is part of what Carson Wentz never captured about this city. So we'll uh, get to that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. If you want to join the show, 215-592-9494. Uh, we will um, go through some of the... Uh, maybe we'll do predictions for the Levi's, or we'll, do, we'll predict some of next year's Levi's. Um, as the first one for Best Franchise will be announced uh, today on the morning show. So I, I Best Franchise for the morning show... Best trade for the midday show. And uh, in the afternoon show, they will announce the best Sixers moment. Or what best we, Sixers player. What would it.
4: you pick for all three of those?
3: What would I pick for all three? For best franchise, I mean, I'm I'm picking the Eagles. I mean, you, when you have a run like you had under Andy Reid, I mean, how could you not?
2: How well, could you uh, not pick the Eagles? And
3: then a Super Bowl on top of it. They're the gold standard. Gold standard, that's right. Um, until Jeffrey Lurie started sticking his grubby hands in everything. And everything since then has is, is, uh, gone to you know what um best trade you know which trade I'm partial to uh it's the Sam Bradford trade yes uh, yeah. he, he just, and and I'm still disappointed that the 13 to eight didn't get on there yeah, that, that was, was the better, better trade. trade that was it a better was a trade the eight
4: to than the eight to, t- than mm-hmm. the eight to two because that was also, it was also a change in like like how he's got the steering wheel again now because it's like you know those chip guys <laughs> right, got
3: right we are I think we are like the lone howie show on this station, you're a flip flopper. I'm not a you flip. flopper. Okay, give me a break. I'm not a. You flopped. I mean,
4: I, I was steady the whole year. I
3: hold Howie. Account- you're yeah. You you don't hold you don't hold anybody accountable. That's your problem. Uh, you're <laughs> you're you're a, you're a blind. Defa- you're like a Wentz apologist for for Howie. You know you got to admit when there are mistakes I mean, made.
4: I, uh yeah, I mean I'm sure there have been. I just I don't know what they are because yeah. I don't know who makes what. And then be- best sixer.
3: I mean it's got to be uh it's got to be yeah, AI. The
4: goat. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, but uh, c- coming up in the, in the uh, 4 o'clock hour, we'll maybe predict some of the Levi's for next year because uh, it becomes a yearly award after this one. So uh, we'll, we'll do some projecting forward uh, as we uh, look toward the next year in Philadelphia sports.
4: Maybe some of your callers can start making their case for best call. caller for next year.
3: Well, Dan Wilson and I were talking about this last night because um, there's been a lot of caller on caller crime lately. Well, on just, this station. I thought it's been well. It's we we've been been all over Mike in South Philly. I don't know what's right. going on there. Um, but people were calling out the weave, which you know, the weave's harmless. I don't know why 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 people are calling him out. Um, you know, Gus has always got Gus was calling out. I think Steve in Tampa uh,
4: last <laughs> night. <laughs> so you know, there's there there's a lot of caller on color. Oh my God! If those two got a debate. I'd... <laughs> Gus would win in, like, 15 seconds. I
3: I encourage the (laughs) caller-on-caller crime. I love it. Um, You know, so... Yeah. So, uh, yeah, maybe somebody from this show uh, will get um, best caller. But one thing that I did want to get to real quick, because it's fascinating that we are at the point we're at uh, when you look at at Carson Wentz. And I know people are... are you know, tired of the the Carson Wentz uh, discussion. And obviously, we won't be doing as much Carson Wentz discussion since he's not in this town anymore. But part of, you know, I think what really went wrong in some ways for Carson Wentz was he never really resonated with uh, the people and the fan base here. And I look back at, you know, those Andy Reid teams, and there's a reason why, despite Brian Dawkins being the leader of the defense and Donovan McNabb being the leader of the offense, and those two guys being really the face of that organization for that 2000 through 2008 period, you know, Donovan obviously was here a year longer. The reason why they are viewed so differently is because Brian Dawkins understood this fan base and resonated with this fan base in a way that Donovan McNabb never did. You know, and he understood what these fans cared about, what these fans wanted to see in a way that Donovan just, he never figured that part of it out. And regardless of how successful he was, that was never something that he was able to make up for with his play. And it's something that that players in this town deal with all the time. I mean, look at, you know, I think a guy like Scott Rowland never truly got it to that extent. And you compare him to a guy like Chase Utley. Like, who would you say is the better player overall? Like, Scott Rowland or Chase Utley? I mean, they're pretty comparable, right? And regardless of whether you won a World Series or not, like, Chase Utley is the more beloved player by far because of the yes. way he resonated with the fan base. And I think back to, like, three years ago because – Joel Embiid and Carson Wentz were in very similar situations in this city where they were both viewed as these are going to be the two faces of sports in Philadelphia for the next decade. And, you know, uh, not that that Carson Wentz up until this year was ever a, a guy that, that, that was disliked by the fan base and obviously still liked by a a lot of the fan base, but he never really connected in that way that we like to see our athletes connect here. And it's been the difference uh, between those two, where they were in these similar positions, but Joel Embiid, you know, responded so much differently when adversity struck. And... You know, Joel Embiid scores 50 the other night against Chicago, does the gesture to the non-existent crowd, and he's asked about it after the game, about, you know, missing the fans at games. And here was what Joel Embiid had to say.
12: Playing in Philly, uh, you know, I have a lot of pride and I play uh, for the fans and I play for the city. And, you know, all my goals when it comes to basketball are related to the city of Philadelphia. So I always feel like... Uh, you know they're here with us, even though they're not. Uh, so uh, you know, I always, I always feel their presence.
3: And you know that that is is something that Joel Embiid understood immediately. And it's I don't even know if it's something you can you can really learn. It's something that is just comes naturally. And I do think like Indianapolis is a better spot for Carson Wentz because it is more low-key. It's not going to be as hyper-focused. You know, it's not going to be every day this constant scrutiny because Carson Wentz wasn't wasn't built for that in this town. Certain guys are built for it. Certain guys are tough enough to handle it, and certain guys embrace it. And, you know, I just look at, at the difference between these two players who three years ago were viewed very similarly. And, you know, I remember the debates. Who is going to be the the, the face of Philadelphia sports? I remember Angelo and Marshall Harris arguing about it uh, for, uh, you know, a long time about, is it going to be Embiid or is it going to be Carson Wentz? And Joel Embiid, you just look at the way he's responded to adversity compared to the way Carson Wentz has responded to adversity. And the fact that coming out of the bubble, Joel B was facing a lot of the same kinds of criticism that Carson Wentz was facing during the season. And, you know, he decided to handle it the way he handled it, which was he was going to go into the gym, he was going to work on his fitness, he was going to work on his health, he was going to get better as a player, he was going to get in better shape, and he's come out this year and played like an MVP candidate. And, you know... For a guy like Carson Wentz, it it overwhelmed him, and it swallowed him. And in the end, he wasn't able to handle it. And, you know, it it takes a certain type of athlete, a certain type of personality to succeed in this city and to thrive in this city. And, you know, uh, it's it's very interesting when you look back at the way we viewed those two guys a few years ago and the way things have panned out uh, for each of them. And I don't think it's a coincidence um, when you look at how they've handled adversity and, and how they've really uh, been different in how they've connected with this city. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. two one five five nine two nine four nine four is how you join the show. Uh, when we get back, we will kind of reset uh, our main topic here, um, talking about Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman as dueling stories coming out this weekend about who is the blame within the Eagles organization. And while everybody really zeroes in on Howie much of the time, Jeffrey Lurie, in my mind, is the one behind many, many of these decisions uh, that have backfired over the last couple of years. And when we get back, we will look at how the Carson Wentz situation played out. And between the two of them, why I feel Jeffrey Lurie is is almost solely responsible for creating the monster uh, that became uh, Carson Wentz after the Super Bowl year of 2017. 215-592-9494.
0: I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in
3: for Big Daddy Graham on a Monday morning. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. Still plenty of stuff we need to get through this hour, including what Mike Angelina calls the best Gabe Kapler check-in in the history of Gabe Kapler check-ins. Is that, is that correct, Mike? Is that is that appropriate to say the best? Hour? I mean that's a that's a high bar to clear. We've had some tremendous check-ins over there. I the know year. you're a big goat guy, right? I mean, there's no way it's topping the goat guy. I don't <laughs> I, see I that think as those, possible.
4: I think it might.
3: Who was the goat? was the goat guy's shelter on base? Y- yes, okay. So he was he's not a KMBR joker. <laughs> KMBR joker. No. Uh Tolbert Bo- Brooks and Cruz, I think oh, it's Okay. The... I remember Tolbert. I, I remember Tolbert. Tolbert he's a he he's a he's a real troublemaker that Tolbert. Uh, so we'll hear from Actually, Gabe. I got it.
4: Tolbert Kruger and Brooks.
3: Okay. So we'll, we'll hear from Gabe a little later on this hour. Um I did get a tweet from uh, our buddy Ryan who uh, as we're talking, we were ta- mention best Philly last segment just like beloved Phillies Bobby Ron, Abreu. He's very upset Bobby was not nominated for for best Philly. I thought he should have been nominated over Hamels. Yeah, I would go with Cole Hamels there. I don't I don't want to get Ryan too, uh, worked up. But I would have gone with Cole Hamels. Like Bobby's going to
4: get Hall of Fame votes.
3: Yeah, but but has, you know. yeah, but I mean people in the city. I mean they they they're not Bobby Abreu's not held in the same regard. Cole Hamels Cole Hamels is World Series MVP. Well, that's true. You know, so uh, you know he deserves that level of respect. I think Cole is a uh, somewhat this, but who knows? Maybe Cole will win Best Philly this week. Maybe he will. Um but for the ones that are being announced uh today now uh let's project these for next year okay so best franchise is being announced um who do you think mike will be the best franchise of next year i mean now i guess we'll count the eagles 2021 season uh that makes sense if we're doing it at the same time we'll count the 2021 season mm-hmm. um flyers i don't know they're they're off to kind of a weird start i, I don't think they'll uh, be in the mixer. I don't think it, it'll be the
4: Eagles. It basically, it comes down to I think who uh, ends up going further and who impresses more, Dombrowski or Daryl Morey.
3: Uh for be- that that may be for
4: best executive. But I mean, like what, like right? It'll be it'll be the franchise.
3: I mean, if I had to bet money on it, I'd I'd bet Sixers. I mean, it could be if the Sixers end up going out in the first round, though. I don't know. Mm. Do we do we have to give it away? I mean, could we just you know carry it over to the next year and well, the next then vote the union. Yeah, we. You're, you know, you're right. We could vote the union. Uh, maybe they'll win uh, some sort of a, a cup a championship this yeah. year. Yeah, whatever shield, whatever it is that they're playing for. Um, best trade. I mean, this is this is one of those that's kind of hard to predict. Uh, well, I think the be- well, yeah, I think I- we've already seen the best trade. Honestly, yeah. I mean, I think Howie already uh, made the best trade to get a get possibly a first round pick for for that bum
4: I thought you' were gonna say Tyrese Maxey for whatever he's traded for
3: well I mean if that well if there Morey can get can get Zach you're convenient. trading him every week uh, yeah well Tyrese Maxey, he's he's what they have to give like I don't know uh, you know I know people want to just go out and you know trade Danny green and Mike Scott I don't I don't trade anything. And get, well,
4: you, I, you're you're wrong about that one no, team's not. not good enough well I mean look all they have to do is upgrade Mike Scott well, I mean, they better upgrade Mike Scott. Yeah, I mean and that's a must. What
3: will the What will the Hive do? I mean, the <laughs> the the most pathetic fan base in in Philadelphia sports history. Uh, the the Mike Scott. No, hive. I think the Wentz crowd's worse now. Well, yeah, but I mean, at least Wentz did something. Like the and, Mike Scott
4: Hive, they're good people. But like but
3: yeah, but I mean, it's it's kind of a dumb fan group.
4: Like mm, no, nah, not really. If if the player hangs out with them, then it's no longer dumb.
3: Yeah, I mean the LTBB is pretty bad. You gotta yeah, have Carson you completely snub those guys because you gotta have a name. I was gonna say Carson's group doesn't have a name, but Wentz, Wagon, LTBB, they do have a name. Uh, so yeah, you can put them in the mix there. Um, yeah, Let I the I, Bronco I, bust, but uh, yeah, best trade. I think I think it's gonna be the Wentz trade, and then best sixer. I mean, I think can we already award yeah, that the to Joel Embiid right now? <laughs> Um. So, uh, yeah, that's probably uh, uh, good for next year. Um, but uh, we'll 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 predict some of the other Levis for next year as well. Uh, I've been thinking about it a lot in the shower. As we go for throughout for this hour, that was kind of a random Jerry Jones appearance. Uh, but I'll take I'll I'll take whenever we can. I haven't that used one. it in a while. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it it you know it actually fits in nicely because that's apparently what Jeffrey Lurie has become. Is jerry jones light according to marcus hayes who marcus hayes wrote a piece um talking about how jeffrey laurie is the biggest issue with the eagles right now um jeff mcclain a dueling piece about how howie roseman is the one constant with the eagles dysfunction and that's kind of something we're examining tonight because so much over the last couple weeks has been about carson Wentz, and rightfully so you know we're we're Seeing how this whole saga is going to end, finally it does come to an end with Carson Wentz uh, being traded. Doug Peterson fired. And now the focus will shift to the two major decision makers because there are only two, um, uh, two main people left with the Eagles right now from that Super Bowl season. Doug's gone. Carson's gone. Jim Schwartz gone. It's now Howie Roseman and Doug Peterson. And while all the blame and all of the vitriol is placed at Howie's feet much of the time, and I am not absolving him, and I, I never wanted to sound that way when discussing this, but of all the moves that have been made over the last couple of years and the decisions that have been made and the mistakes that have been made, you know, I see Howie Roseman and hear Howie Roseman get just blasted for all of it and that howie roseman is this incompetent howie roseman has no clue what he's doing and you know everything is Howie's fault but i don't necessarily see it that way because i think a lot of what has happened over the last couple of years is the result of jeffrey Lurie and the fact that his ego has been affected more than anybody since the eagles won super bowl 52 And if you want to get in, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. But Jeffrey Lurie, more than anyone, has been intoxicated by what the Eagles did that season. And I think it has led him to put his hands in way too much with this organization. Whether it is keeping older players, whether it is being more involved in the draft which all the reporting is that Jeffrey Lurie has been much more involved in the player selection process over the last few years that he was the one who wanted J.J. Ortega-Whiteside whether that's true or not that he watching Super Bowl 54 between the Chiefs and the 49ers became so obsessed with this uh you know Graphic that they put up about speed and that the Niners and the Chiefs were the two fastest teams in the NFL, that that's what Jeffrey Lurie pretty much told Howie Roseman to solely focus on last offseason. And what the Eagles do? They go out, they draft Jalen Rager because he's fast. They draft Davion Taylor because he's fast. They trade for a guy in Marquise Goodwin. Draft John Hightower. Draft Quez Watkins. And it was this this kind of makeover of the roster that was solely focused around speed and that that was done at the behest of Jeffrey Lurie. And when everybody asks the question, why is Howie still here? The answer to me is pretty simple. It's that he is doing what Jeffrey Lurie wants him to do and that Jeffrey Lurie is, at least in some ways, um, you know, satisfied with the job, how he's done. Well, most of us may not be. And, you know, I went back to when Doug Peterson was fired and Jeffrey Lurie talking about the front office. And when he was asked about evaluating Howie's job and the rest of the people in the Eagles front office, here's what Jeffrey Laurie had to say.
2: Take whichever organization you want and look at it over a, a multi-year period Uh, you're going to see highs and lows of drafting. You're going to see highs and lows of free agent acquisition, and you're going to have to make your own determination of, do they have the right people in the building? Is that two years of, of not having good first round picks? Is that related to the people in the building? Or is that because the, the two players that they actually were going to draft got taken just before and they're all pro players in the league? What, what, It got to be much more. I have to be much more in depth and complex about the analysis. Um, Luckily for me, I sit there and I get to see exactly what took place and takes place. And um, you know, maybe someday I'll write a book about it.
3: And you hear right there, Jeffrey Lurie says he's involved. And yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, you know a guy with an ego. He ends the the cut with uh, maybe someday I'll write a book about it. Write a book about what all the all the bad wide receiver draft picks. Like it's obvious that he is very involved in this process. And again, uh, forget what Jeffrey Lurie says. Let's listen to a real genius, the gridiron genius. Um, because Mike Lombardi, Mike Lombardi, and Howie Roseman, they're not they're not buddy buddy, but Mike Lombardi. Uh, actually offered what I thought was a staunch defense of Howie Roseman last Friday morning on the morning show. Here was uh, Michael Lombardi when asked why is Howie Roseman still the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles?
10: I don't think that's a really hard question to answer, Angelo. I think that he's doing exactly what the owner wants him to do. You know, people view Howie as an independent contractor. People view Howie as having to this power to do anything he wants to do. I think if you look at the way they make decisions in the Eagles, I think the owners involved, and I think these decisions come as much from him as they come from Howie in a group collaborative effort. Ben, you, you know, know- I, 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 I don't think it's, I don't think this is, if this was a dictatorship and it was just one person, it wouldn't be too hard to figure out, look, we got to make a change. Right, but it's not, right. it's,
3: it's collaboration. And that that's exactly right. It's collaboration but when the owner's in the room, the owner has the final say. And this goes beyond personnel because you also hear about all the culture issues in the building. And, you know, for all that we've talked about Carson Wentz and all that we have criticized Carson Wentz, he is not solely to blame for becoming, you know, the kind of, of personality that he became because I, I mean, I don't know Carson Wentz personally. I've said that before. Um, And, you know, I'm only going off the reports that we've gotten. And we've gotten several reports to suggest that Carson Wentz has been a pretty significant problem uh, within the organization over the last few years. Uh, And I don't know if he was like this when he got to Philadelphia. But uh, according to many, it really started after... The Super Bowl. And you got to look back to before the 2016 draft. And Marcus Hayes writes about this in his piece as well, where Jeffrey Lurie was spearheading that search for a quarterback. And Jeffrey Lurie was one of the ones who identified Carson Wentz as the guy that they wanted to build around. And Jeffrey Lurie, you know, loves Carson Wentz. He does. And Marcus Hayes began hearing you know, these culture issues with Carson Wentz after uh, the Super Bowl. Here's what Marcus Hayes had to say.
9: Let me tell you a little story. Okay? Yeah, please. So after please. the Super Bowl, yeah. they won the Super Bowl. We have a meeting in our staff room um, at the Enquirer, and it's the football guys and a couple of columnists, right? And we're, we're discussing how we can further deify Carson Wentz during the summer at training camp and my response to the to the beat writers and the football guys and the other columnists were listen i'm hearing stuff that after carson got hurt he was a, not a very good teammate and he was not a very good employee now you can take that for what you will but my understanding is that carson believes that his star has risen to the point that he's unassailable and he'll do the bare minimum of whatever to uh to fulfill whatever responsibilities he has, and he's not very pleasant. Well, how can you say that? I said, well, listen, that's just what I'm hearing. I, got, I don't have an ax to grind with Carson Wentz. I don't like him. I don't dislike him. I just cover him. But that's what I'm hearing. This was in the spring of 2018. So, yeah, I saw this coming a long time ago.
3: And why do you think that happened? How do you think something like that happens? You know, and as much as I have ripped Carson Wentz, as much as we've all criticized Carson Wentz, this doesn't happen unless he is enabled, and I don't think it's really that much of a question that the person he was enabled by was Jeffrey Lurie because of the the way that Jeffrey Lurie viewed Carson Wentz as a savior in some ways, as uh, the guy that was going to you know be his version of Tom Brady, because with Jeffrey Lurie. Everything that he does with the Eagles, everything that he tries to model the Eagles after is based on the New England Patriots. It is. It's the organization that he grew up watching, the organization that he tries to model himself after. I think he model, tries to model himself after uh, Robert Kraft in many ways. Uh, not not every way, but, but many ways. Um, but you look at how the Patriots built and I think he looked at Carson Wentz as this is going to be my Tom Brady and he enabled Carson Wentz to act in a way that is unhealthy for an organization and gave Carson Wentz this idea in his mind that he was above everybody else that he was above beyond reproach that he wasn't held to the same standard as everybody else in the organization was. And, you know, when I thought about this, I went back to a comment that Chris Long had made. And this was right after the Eagles played Cleveland. This is when it was really bad for Carson Wentz. And when, I mean, I thought he should have been benched during this Cleveland game. Certainly after. Um, But when you look at how Jeffrey Lurie views Carson Wentz, all you need to do is listen to this cut from Chris Long and here's Chris Long on on that relationship
13: so they just paid him in 2019 you know Doug after the game people are asking you know Doug says he, he doesn't bench him because it's, it's um, it would be the wrong move for the football team it would signal something it would send a clear message that this thing is over well I think for one he's acknowledging that Hertz doesn't necessarily look any better but more importantly because you got to understand they know these guys in and out At this juncture, maybe Hurts isn't a clear answer. But more importantly, Jeffrey Lurie loves Carson, right? And I'm not saying whether he's right or wrong, but the owner likes the quarterback. And I think Doug probably likes the quarterback too. I don't know what Doug thinks if Doug plays a favor with Carson. I don't know if Jim Schwartz likes Carson. I don't know if Howie likes Carson at this juncture. I don't talk to these people, okay? But the owner likes Carson. And right now, if I'm the owner, I'm looking down and I'm saying, what happened to my MVP? Right? Because he was on an MVP track in 2017. He hasn't looked the same. If it's just injury, it's just injury. But you also paid him 2019, a year and a half ago, you broke him off to be the quarterback of your future. And now you can't get like anything out of him?
3: And that, that's, that's the answer right there. Like, Jeffrey Laurie loves Carson Wentz, or loved Carson Wentz. And I 100% believe that after the Eagles won that Super Bowl, Jeffrey Lurie allowed this to happen. Because uh, what happened with Carson Wentz in Philadelphia, while he definitely deserves a a a large level of the blame for the way that he acted and the way that he handled things, it doesn't get to that point unless he was enabled. And it's clear that he was enabled. And when you look at the issues that have plagued this organization, whether it's culture, whether it is bringing back older players, uh, the draft mistakes, um, and some of the mismanagement, while Howie Roseman is the one that will be blamed and certainly deserves some level of blame, the one that I feel has his fingerprints all over it is Jeffrey Lawrence. And that's the reason Allie Roseman's still here is because I don't think Howie Roseman made a lot of these mistakes on his own. Sure, it's collaborative, but the owner has the final say. And ultimately, um, I think the reason Allie Roseman's still the general manager is because Jeffrey Jeffrey Lurie knows uh, he's the one who ultimately made many of these decisions that have backfired over the last few years. 215-592-9494 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 if you want to join the show. When we get back, we'll uh, we'll, we'll predict a few more of the Levi's for next year. Uh, we'll do that when we return. And also, i got to get to this uh, story uh, with what happened in the Clippers-Nets game at the end on Sunday night because I know people get upset about Joel Embiid and the way the Sixers manage his load um well the Clippers took load management to another level on Sunday night and probably lost him a game uh so we'll get to that when we return I'm Tom
0: Kelly Sports Radio 94 WIP
3: Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham. And just irritated. Just during the break, have my Twitter up. I'm seeing some more the face and the personality challenges here. Uh, how long do you think this one's going to go on, Mike? Do you think this is going to... Uh, because the, some of these have longer shelf lives than others. This like, one doesn't seem like a great one. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, It's just... Uh, you know, people trying to capitalize. Whenever whenever people get challenges, they love to jump in on them. I feel like the lunch table challenge went on for a while. Yeah, that was a good one.
4: Yeah.
3: I mean, it wasn't a good
4: one. I wouldn't call it I a mean, good it was one. good in terms of its longevity, yeah.
3: Speaking of social media, I got to follow-up on uh, in my report last week about my brother-in-law who's like a TikTok star for his oh, hippo, for the hippo feeding videos yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, apparently my, my wife uh, stopped over... Um, at her parents' house for lunch, and he's living there right now because he goes to Temple, but they're not living at school, so he's living at home. Um, but, uh, you know, my wife mentioned that I talked about it on the radio, and, I, and my, my brother-in-law's like, well, what did he say? And she's like, he said he didn't really get it. And apparently my brother-in-law said, oh, well, I guess Tom's kind of a hater. So uh, <laughs> I'm apparently a, a hater on, on my, my uh, brother-in-law's TikTok now. Um, you came off pretty haterish. I, I mean, say. I don't think it was haterish. I just don't get. it. I just don't get the appeal. Like he's got like this weird video where he's just like, and it's not even his voice in the background. It's some woman's voice.
9: Hater. And,
3: and it just says he's feeding a hippo uh, cheese or whatever it is that he's feeding him that day. I didn't think it was hater. Haterish. I got hater vibes. Uh, well, it's I, all about the vibes. Well, apparently <laughs> the vibes. Get out of here with the vibes too. That's Look, another thing. Be- the vibes have got to go, okay? I'm tired of vibes. I don't need to hear anything else about vibes. I am done with
4: vibes. You keep your phone on uh, the ringer? So no vibration? <laughs> no was,
3: vibes? That's a terrible joke, Mike. Jeez. When no, are you... that, bad. that was a jolly joke. That's what that was. That is, wow, what a shot at me. <laughs> um, I, I never... Do you, does anybody keep their phone on on uh, volume I never have my phone on
4: volume I do because I sleep weird times yeah but you could your alarm will still go off if you uh... no like if someone's trying to reach me and I'm asleep like I
3: yeah I, I just take my chances and uh, and keep it on 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 vibe uh, so for the vibe <laughs> yeah exactly Um but uh, t- talking about the uh, Jeffrey Lurie, uh, Howie Roseman dynamic. And, and speaking of Carson Wentz, Mike, uh, did you see um, the text that he sent to his new teammate? He's, no. Uh, well, it, it was pretty funny. He sent it to some guy, Julian, and it, it's some, some guy, Julian. Yeah. There, well, there's guy, Julian, on the Colts, <laughs> I, I guess. But um it was so generic, like you know, no personality whatsoever. And somebody had commented, uh, "It's like the text you would get from uh, somebody in like when you're doing a career mode in in NBA Two K." Yeah, it's it's exactly mm-hmm. like that. Look up the tweet; right, well. it's pretty funny uh, because I know you're you're a big Two uh, K oh, guy.
4: You ready? Yeah, Do you sure. want me to read it? Uh, sure, why not? Ah, oh, if it loads. Uh, Julian Carson Wentz here Just wanted to reach out and let you know I'm <laughs> fired up to compete with you man You're a heck of a player and I look forward to our battles And practice reach out anytime And I look forward to meeting soon <laughs> Doesn't it sound like that it's yeah.
3: so generic uh, Very impersonal um, but, Julian Blackman Yeah, Good luck to Carson uh, in, in Indianapolis I, I guess uh, 215-592-9494 If you want to get in before we predict A couple more Levi's for next year Um uh, I know we get mad about Joel Embiid and and load management, but what the Clippers did on Sunday night was load management gone too far. And you know, I'm I'm a load management guy. I'm not against it. I am pro load management, um, which we argued about with Al last week. But what the Clippers did was crazy. Is they're they're coming down. Uh, the stretch against the Nets. And what's a big game. I mean, nationally televised game, uh, potential finals preview, and uh, Paul George is returning from injury. He has 33 points in, I think, 34 minutes or 34 points in 33 minutes, Uh, but he's on a minutes restriction, so three minutes left in the game, they just take him out and they end up losing? Like, that is load management gone too far. Like, I'm all for managing uh, guys' loads. Um, and uh, you know, uh, worrying about uh, about that, but that was was utterly ridiculous. And the Clippers end up giving away a game to Brooklyn, that in turn is going to hurt the Sixers. So uh, while I do support load management, uh, that was that was load management uh, gone too far. Uh, as the Clippers pulled Paul George out uh, at the end of the game, and then earlier in the day, the Celtics. Give up a 24 point lead uh, to the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Celtics are a disaster right now. They just they do not look right at all. Um, they they are are in many ways uh, a mess right now. And when you talk about teams in the East uh, that you have to be concerned about, Celtics aren't one for me. I mean, I I, I know the Sixers when they beat the Celtics in back to back games earlier this year. Um, there was no. Uh, No, Jason Tatum, but even with Jason Tatum, I don't, I don't think that's a team the Sixers would have much trouble with, uh, in the postseason. Um, So, uh, looking at that, man, the 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 Celtics, they they got to figure things out. They got to figure them out quick.
4: Wait, what do you mean, no Jason Tatum?
3: When, when they played the sixers earlier oh right.
4: sorry yeah. I was taking a call you're yeah you're just
3: just trying to just trying to uh you're trying to keep me honest that that watchdog yeah you're a watchdog we need more watchdogs uh two one five five nine two nine four nine four uh let's go to John in center city what's up John
1: hey how are you today how's it going i'm good i uh I like hearing you I called you a couple of days ago and we spoke about uh, I thought that social media gave watch uh, A bad rap, and here's a perfect example. I enjoy listening to you, but you're not even uh, taking uh, giving Wentz his, his fair due on the tweet or whatever message he sent. Now, I'm glad he's gone, but everyone across the country is just taking perspective on Carson Wentz and what happened to him, what, what, uh, how sullen he was at certain times of the year. You know, it's all speculation. The media just keeps beating this guy up. It's only gonna make him look better next year when he comes out fired up and plays a a, a, a a notch better than what everybody anticipates, and I'm sure he will.
3: Oh, I mean we'll see, John. I mean I don't know how you can be so sure based on what we just saw, but we'll see well,
1: and and based and he has he has the talent. He, his his head wasn't in it, and I think taking Peterson out of the equation was was the wrong thing to do, period. I mean, this guy's a Super Bowl-winning coach. You don't replace Super Bowl-winning coaches. Nevertheless, he's gone. Now you have a new coach, he'll have a learning curve for, what, two or three years? You know, it's, it. it doesn't look good for us as Eagles fans for the next two to three years, that's for sure.
3: No, it doesn't. And John, I will say though, you know, you talk about speculation. I mean, this isn't all speculation. These are like reported details, you know, uh, about the stuff of Carson here. It's not,
1: it's yeah, not speculative guys are embellishing it and making it more than it was. And anybody, if you were a starting quarterback on a team, you would feel exactly the same way. So let's not be naive, but the speculation and the social media drive towards, uh, you know, sensationalism is a little bit disturbing to a guy who, like me who, who can, you know, see uh, I can see the perspectives here and you want to sell newspapers or, or uh, make a sensational story, but Wentz, Wentz in itself had some issues that they couldn't identify. Getting rid of Peterson was a mistake and they probably found out Wentz wanted no part of the team anyway. It's it's just a, a terrible, terrible call by Howie and uh, uh, Jeff, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, I got you, John. I appreciate the call. Thanks. And I, I agree that getting rid of Doug was was probably the, the, the wrong decision, even though I will say, you know, that Adam Schefter report was pretty troubling. I mean, because as much as I like Doug, there's, I, I don't know how that can really be true. That they haven't, they didn't speak for like eight to ten weeks during the season. Like, how does that work? How does a quarterback and a head coach not have communication uh, for for that long? Um, but if it is, I mean, that that is a major negative on Doug. I mean, Doug, you can't let it deteriorate to that point. You might not like the guy. You know, you might not want to work with him. Um, but. Uh, for Doug Peterson, you know, you got uh, to find a way to make it work the best you can uh, as the head coach of the team. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. When we get back, uh, the highlight of the show, according to Mike Angelina, I uh, do not know um, what was said, but Mike is dubbing this the greatest Gabe Kapler check-in of all our Gabe Kapler check-ins. And, uh, we've had, we've had some doozies. I mean, we've had the Pablo Sandoval lunch, which is one of our favorites. We've had the, the Gabe diet talking about being a a goat guy and, and the goat guy interviewer himself. Um, so we've had a lot of fun ones. How many, how many clips do we have coming up from Gabe here, Mike? Four, four clips. All right. So, uh, we'll, we'll hear from, uh, the San Francisco Giants manager, when we get back uh, and see what Gabe has in store. 215-592-9494.
0: I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.
3: What is, what is this? Is this system of a down? Yeah. Okay. And this is Gabe's uh, pump-up pump music, right? This is bizarre. This doesn't seem to have a very, you know, gabe quality to it. It's it's a little hardcore choppy we'll
4: yeah. yeah. Well, no, Gabe likes it hardcore though. Yeah. You know? Okay. All right.
3: Well, uh so so we had Gabe back um with the KNBR crew. That's correct, Mike. The the yep. Is he back to doing his weekly spots?
4: You know it's what they didn't allude to if it was weekly or not. They just kind of let him it you know how it is with those guys. It's never it's never smooth or swift. No. So they no. brought him on um I guess you know, okay, right? They brought him in, obviously they talked about music right away cuz Gabe was impressed. They came back with Iron Maiden.
3: They got a butter Gabe up a little bit before they dive into the hard hitting uh <laughs> giant's question.
4: It's funny you say that cuz that's kind of be that's kind of where this Gabe Kapler uh, check him like it never launches because we never get to check in on the baseball conversation.
3: But well, those are those are the these best guys just keep
4: check-ins. like they keep talking past each other. Well That's but,
3: good news because the best game check-ins don't have anything to do with baseball.
4: I agree. Yeah. So yeah, here's the first question. This is a weird question. They asked them if they ever play music at the ballpark. Like, why would? Of course they
13: do. Yeah. Well, do you guys play music? I know the Warriors do it. I know a lot of sports teams do it now when they're warming up, stretching stuff. They crank music and let everybody listen to the music. Is that kind of, Is that part of the routine at all?
5: When you, when you walk into the ballpark here in Scottsdale, first thing you're going to start hearing music playing. So, and I'm talking about when it's still dark outside and people are groggy, you know, <laughs> coming into the building in the hallways, they're hearing music playing. Goal is kind of wake people up. So it's not super loud when, when people walk in and maybe it's some, some R and B or, or something just to kind of get your eyes open, like a nice cup of coffee. And then once you get out on the field, music is a, a little bit louder and, uh, designed to to kind of change physiology and and get guys locked in. So, yeah, we use music as a tool and I think you guys know how much I love music. Yep. That that comes from my dad who who instilled the love of music in me and and uh hopefully our players appreciate it as well.
3: So, Gabe so does Gabe, so Gabe is involved in the music selection process. So, Probably. there there's a there's a method to the madness where in Scottsdale at spring training. Gabe I, I guess he's got a playlist that he supplies to the uh public address uh people and they and they follow that because Gabe's got to have his guys. I mean, he's got to have Buster in the right mental mind mental uh,
4: mental state for That's right. uh, baseball. Absolutely right. Um yeah, I just thought it was funny. Like why would they not play music? Like it's a, a yeah, to
3: a ballpark. But I guess it's spring training. Like I, I don't know. Do they play it down in Clearwater? Uh, when the guys are just working out, because I feel like they do. I guess they're talking about not game related, but yeah, just when they're just working out, they're just playing it.
4: All right, so this one, uh, this next one's funny because uh, Gabe's like talking baseball, and then just out of nowhere, they ask us totally irrelevant follow up questions. Kind of funny, and Gabe's thrown off so more than anything else. Can we get players to get better on our watch?
12: And, and Gabe, that kind of leads me to my question. But before I get to that, I want to go back to music because I want to be selfish here for a second are you still playing the bass are you still going getting into it and what new music are you getting into now
5: yeah so um up in, and i'm on that level right now i'm on, on the third level of our facility here in scottsdale and we have a full set so we've got a regular guitar we've got a bass guitar and we've got a drum kit we've got a microphone really we do i'll take i'll take some pictures and send them over It's outstanding so we've had guys come up here and, and jam already. The idea, and we also have ping pong tables up here. So the idea is, let's make sure that a play, that players have a place to go to kind of escape um, the grind of, of what spring training can be. So guys yeah. will come up here and they'll bang on the drums, or you know they'll kick off a little you know guitar riff, or they'll compete in ping pong and just give them a little escape at the end of the day, or maybe a break in the middle of the day for for some of our our staff members. So I'm still messing around with the bass a little bit still kind of hitting the drums a little bit as well not good at either but I'm still trying the best
3: so Gabe's holding jam sessions between between spring training so he thinks guys when guys after they're done working out to let so if a guy like strikes out during a simulated game he can go up and he can bang on the drums to take out his frustration is that kind of what are saying there
4: that's the idea yeah yeah uh what he said to break up the grind of uh day-to-day spring training yeah
3: yeah but he especially you know um was talking about banging on the drums like guys can do that out of frustration that's at least the way i took it but i can just see you know gabe and buster posey and uh brandon crawford up there and they all play a different instrument they just have a a little jam session (laughs)
4: Yeah, I could say Brandon Crawford looks like a guy that belongs in a band.
3: He was just the only other giant I could name. I mean, that's—I was trying to think of a different guy. I just didn't really know of anybody else. Is Darren Ruff still on the Giants?
4: Yes, Gabe. Uh, Gabe actually brought him up in this interview. We won't—I'm not going to play it—but he okay. brought him up.
3: All right. Uh, well, what else do we have from Gabe?
4: Yeah. So Gabe was looking for uh, at one point some music suge- suggestions, and they offered uh, him one here.
5: And with respect to the second question about uh, new music that I'm listening to um gosh that's talk. Check, think-
12: check out the new foo I fighters check out the new foo check it out it's there worth it's worth a listen it's only 37 38 minutes it's a it's a foo fighters album but it doesn't sound like a foo fighters album that that's my suggestion to you
5: i'm on it when when was it release
12: uh last week 10 days ago uh something somewhere along those lines yeah so it's it's pretty much it's pretty much brand new my goal is we got to get together and jam so that's enough of me taking personal time we'll get to some baseball questions (laughs) these these guys are
3: the the most awkward interviewers (laughs) it's
12: unbelievable i know you don't you probably
4: don't even know who the foo fighters are but their, their album sounds like a foo fighters album it's not it's not like it's like out of left field yeah and it's like, it, Gabe is awkward to begin
3: with, but then when you got uh, awkward interviewers on top of it, it, it's, it's, it's just an odd back and forth.
4: Gabe's like the most socially normal of all of them. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So, so as you could hear at the end of that one, Gabe wanted yeah. it to get it back to baseball.
3: Well, well, well real quick though. Yeah. I just, I, I just like in Gabe's mind, how much different must he think? Like the interviews are when he compares his his, his chuckle fests with these guys <laughs> right. to his interrogations with Angela. It's, yeah. it's just <laughs> unbelievable
4: the difference. <laughs> He's getting grilled on like yeah, and G- Cesar Gene and, and yeah. yeah, it's great. Uh, but yeah, this this is just the best. This is they're finally going to start talking about baseball. And then Gabe, for some reason, comes up with this take he wants to get out about. Yeah, you know, it relates, uh, the, relates to the Foo Fighters
12: thing about what's the biggest gift you can give somebody. To do that in, in your first year as Giants manager, I, I think that's, that's quite the accomplishment.
5: Awesome. Right, so I'm ready, I'm ready to jump in uh, and discuss baseball and our coaching staff and, and everything else. And I know we have a couple of segments to work with here. And I know nobody jumps on this show to listen to us talk about music.
12: But, damn but it, let's I, do it. I just wanna,
5: <laughs> yeah, this is it. Like, I, I promise this is the last... <laughs> The last thing I'll say about music, but it, it's it's important to me philosophically. So you shared the, the Foo Fighters new record, made the recommendation, said it comes out. It came out about 10 days ago. I believe that the best gift that you can give somebody else is a, a record or a track. And I don't mean the physical copy or like a download or anything like that. It's just a, like a really good recommendation.
0: Absolutely. Because
5: that's the kind of thing that can like last for years and years and years and Look back to that moment that I heard about the new Foo, Fight, Foo, Foo Fighters record, and I, I had it playing during during spring training. Maybe it becomes an anthem during the season. And what what gift than that? So let me just express appreciation for you throwing that out there. I'll definitely listen to it, and then I'll circle back and 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 give you a, a full review and see if we're on the same page.
12: Right on, right on.
3: Yeah, I'm getting the sense that Gabe's Gabe's tired of these guys. I mean, he didn't he didn't seem like he wanted to do any more of the you know uh lighthearted stuff he just wanted to get into talking ball but uh, why did he take that detour there though why did he go on that like that was him well i think he was trying to be polite and answer one more of their questions but yeah i don't think i don't think gabe likes these guys very much i, I don't know maybe gabe doesn't want to do a weekly spot with them anymore uh, for our sake, I hope he does. Yeah, uh, but he he did not seem to en- enjoy uh, all the music questions uh, yeah, so- toward the end, which is something he usually likes talking about that kind of
4: stuff. So it's, I guess sort of like for like a holiday party, Gabe would show up not with gifts, but maybe like he would have on like cards for everyone, uh, a recommendation for them. Like he he recommend like a gift for somebody. He gives out a, a book recommendation, right? Not the actual book, just he recommends it, right? So it's the greatest gift,
3: yeah. It's good, it, it apparently it is, uh, in Gabe's mind. But wow, that was an interesting Gabe check in, like, uh, <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see if we, would, I mean, are we gonna have more from Gabe tomorrow? Or
4: I didn't even get to the baseball part, but oh, yeah,
3: goodness. all right, well, we'll hear more from Gabe, uh, on the show tomorrow, um, <laughs> as he uh, starts his second year with the Giants. I just, <laughs> it, it is just amazing, like, the difference in how he's covered in San Francisco compared to here. like He it, got it,
4: manager of the ear votes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's crazy. Um, but uh, that was Gabe Kapler, and we'll hear more from Gabe uh, tomorrow. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. Uh, we'll recap some of the stuff we've been discussing when we get back. Um, we'll also uh, predict some more of the Levi's for next year um, as – Next year, uh, it will be based off the 2021 season of the teams in Philadelphia. So we'll look forward a little bit. We'll do a little more of that tomorrow as well. And I want to talk a little bit about this Cam Newton situation from Sunday. Uh, Did you see this, Mike, where Cam was being heckled at his own camp uh, by a teenager? And um, just, just, uh, you know, this is probably another old man take for me, but these kids these days... So disrespectful, so we'll get to that a little bit when we get back. I'm Tom
0: Kelly, and for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP.
3: I'm Tom Kelly in for Big Daddy Graham on a Monday morning. If you want to get in 215-592-9494, time to squeeze in a couple calls uh, before the end of the show. If you would like to join uh, some of the things we've been discussing throughout the course of the night, uh, talking about the Eagles in the wake of the Carson Wentz trade and, you know. So much of the conversation, so much of the blame in many ways over the last few weeks uh, has been centered around, um, you know, Carson Wentz and the way he played in 2020, the way he acted in 2020, um, whether whether it was the reaction Jalen Hurts pick, whether it was the reaction to the benching in Green Bay, uh, the issues in the locker room and how how much we've scrutinized that over uh the last few weeks and months and while there is certainly a large amount of blame that should fall on Carson Wentz and you know Doug Peterson for uh his role in that dysfunction this year uh the focus now shifts with Carson Wentz leaving to the two people still here in charge Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and I know many people are asking the question, why is Howie still here? Why is Howie uh, remaining in power with the mismanagement of the last couple years? And, I mean, I think Mike Lombardi put it perfectly from Friday morning with the morning show. It's because Howie's doing what he's told. Like, and Howie Roseman should not be absolved of the issues with the Eagles, but I do think many of the the mistakes that they have made over the last couple of years are Jeffrey Lurie-driven. Especially when you look at this uh, idea of bringing back older players. The bringing back of Jason Peters. I, I I don't believe that was a Howie Roseman move. I think that was a Jeffrey Lurie decision. Brandon Brooks goes down. Um, I think Jeffrey Lurie was looking for any reason he could possibly come up with to bring Jason Peters back. And you know you know they're close. Uh, that's exactly what ended up happening. Um, you look at the draft picks. Uh, Marcus Hayes has a story out right now on Inquire.com about the receiver drafts. There's already a, port- a report about a month ago that Lori was the person who wanted J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. In Marcus Hayes' latest piece, Talking about the Jalen Rager pick and the fact that Jeffrey Lurie became obsessed with the fact that the Chiefs and the 49ers were dubbed by an analytical study, next-gen statistics, the two fastest teams in the NFL. And Jeffrey Lurie became hell-bent on adding speed to this roster. And you look at what the Eagles did last offseason, it has his fingerprints all over it. When you look at the draft and selecting Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, uh, Jalen Rager um, graded out as a much faster player at the the combine, Uh, taking guys like Quez Watkins and John Hightower, who were known for their speed, uh, but not necessarily their production, drafting a guy like Davion Taylor, a linebacker who, by metrics, is impressive, but As far as a football player, hadn't played very long and didn't have much of a resume in that regard. And Davion Taylor couldn't even get on the field this year. And when you look at the Carson Wentz situation and the culture that was created within the Eagles organization, I think you can link it back to Jeffrey Lurie there as well, where Jeffrey Lurie fell in love with Carson Wentz after he drafted him and especially after the 2017 season, and of everybody in this organization, and everybody in this organization, I think to some degree got an inflated ego after what happened in 2017. But I don't think anybody had that effect uh, more than Jeffrey Lurie. When Jeffrey Lurie was able to win that Super Bowl, and especially do it in that fashion, where, you know, he loves offense, to win a shootout, against that organization in the Patriots, the one that he wants so badly to be. To beat Robert Kraft, to beat Bill Belichick, to beat Tom Brady. In that game, I think it made Jeffrey Lurie think a lot more of his football acumen than he really has. And ever since then, I think he's become a meddlesome owner. I think he has become an owner with his... Uh, fingerprints all over this team. He can point back to the Mike Rowe situation as well. Uh, the fact that Doug wanted to keep him and Mike Rowe got fired. Um, you know, I think Carson probably adds a say in that, uh, but also I uh, think Jeffrey Lurie and his obsession with, with offense and the fact that this team didn't have a great offense in 18 and 19 uh, probably contributed to the Eagles moving on as well. So when we look at this organization, the issues still remaining here, I think the issues far more lie with Jeffrey Lurie than they do with Howie Roseman. So we've been discussing that. Talked about the Sixers earlier um, as they lose to Toronto uh, on Sunday night in a game where they just couldn't get anything to go in the fourth quarter. Uh, They're back in Toronto – or back in Tampa Bay, rather, on Tuesday – but whether they play in Toronto, they play in Tampa Bay, they can never beat that team on the road. Uh, so they will get another opportunity on Tuesday talking about the trade deadline and what the Sixers need to do. I would call Chicago. I would offer Tyrese Maxey and however many picks it takes to get Zach Levine here. That's what I would do. And um, if Sixers do that. I think they're the clear favorite in the Eastern Conference. I mean, I don't know if the Bulls would actually trade Zach Levine, Uh I don't think the Bulls are going to uh, win anything significant with him as their best player. Um, and, you know, it might serve them well to rebuild. Uh, but Daryl Morey needs to find a way uh, to improve this roster because, as of right now, this team, while uh, they have a real opportunity because of the strides Embiid and Simmons and Tobias Harris have taken, uh, I don't think they are true competitors. Um, True contenders, rather, for the NBA Finals uh, until they upgrade this roster. And also, uh, we mentioned the Flyers a little earlier as well, as they lose in Lake Tahoe, um, which uh, the NHL really had a uh, a bit of a mess of a weekend in Lake Tahoe with the Saturday game being delayed uh, for hours uh, before they were finally able to finish that one out. But uh, Carter Hart continues to struggle on Sunday. Uh, as the Six or as the Flyers rather lose to the Bruins seven to three. Uh, so some of the things we've been discussing, and also I wanted to touch on this Cam Newton thing real quick. Um, because Cam Newton was holding a camp. Uh, I don't know where this was, but uh, there was a. And I wanted to play the audio on air, but it was kind of hard to hear. Um, but you you did not see this right, Mike. Um, but there was a kid like heckling Cam Newton. He's like coaching a team, and it was very disrespectful. Uh, the kid is yelling like you're trash, you're garbage, you're a free agent. And I thought Cam handled it pretty well. Um, he came back and, and at first he said, but I'm rich, which I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, but then he, he tried actually talking to the kid and asking him when he was playing and, and stuff like that. And the kid was just being very disrespectful. And he also said, uh, the kid said he was repping the two one five. So that was kind of a, a bad look, but wherever this was, um, it was a, uh, a a back and forth and, and very disrespectful of the teenager who was uh, calling out Cam Newton uh, during this during this. I don't know if it was a flag football thing or a, a, a camp of some sort, but um, pretty rude. I mean, Cam Newton's had a pretty good career. Uh, and, you know, who is this young punk uh, to be, you know, ripping Cam Newton uh, when he when he's you know uh lending his time to try to help the youth I, I thought that was that was wrong so before we get out of here let's uh let's predict some more of these uh Levi's for next year uh Mike uh as we're giving away the Levi's this week um and today uh best franchise on the morning show best trade on the midday show best sixers player on the afternoon show and we're pred- predicting the Levi's for next year so we'll continue this tomorrow but um, best coach who, who, who will win best coach next year? I mean, you got, you got doc. I think he's probably the front runner, uh, Elaine Vigneault, uh, Nick Sirianni mm-hmm. and, and Joe Girardi. I, I mean, I think doc right now has the
4: inside edge on that. Yeah, one. I agree. It's Rivers. Yeah.
3: Um, you don't think Siri, Sirianni, Sirianni <laughs> could shock us. You never know. He's got a process in place where guys are going to know what to do.
4: I don't know. It's, I I have a really bad gut feeling about him. About Sirianni, yeah, yeah,
3: I do too. Um, <laughs> the the I, I don't think the Frank Reich uh,
4: model yeah. is going to work out.
3: Just,
4: <laughs> like, it just <laughs> seems like a joke of a hire. It's
3: it's it's it was an odd it was an odd choice without yeah. a doubt. Um, best Flyers player. Um, well, it's it's always G. You yeah. Just... Well, yeah. Of course. <laughs> Well, it's not Carter Hart. No, it's after, not Carter <laughs> after right Last now. time, <laughs> um, and then best—I mean, best draft steal. We can't. I, maybe, maybe Maxie. I. Well, he probably won't count.
4: Or Joe. Maybe Joe.
3: Yeah. Well, we'll save the rest for 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 tomorrow to to guess the rest. of Well, those. you brought it up. The rest of the Levi's. I know. I was looking at the uh, at the Tuesday ones, and the, the, some of them you can't really look at for next year. Like best draft steal. We can't predict that unless you know how he somehow finds a way to go up the one and get Trevor Lawrence.
4: Well, I mean, to me, like Jalen Hurts should qualify for that, like if he's like because we he wouldn't have won it last year, we wouldn't we wouldn't have had enough time.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. So maybe we'll. That's interesting. So maybe we should uh, let let these other drafts be eligible as well for next year.
4: Uh, Yeah, when
3: you're going up against
4: there are rules. Tyrese
3: Maxey was a nice steal, but going up against 20 years of, of drafts, that's not really fair to him. Fair enough. Yeah. So that'll do it for the show uh, today. We'll be back on tomorrow. Tuesday. Uh, There you go. Back on Tuesday. Um, So uh, we'll continue uh, with the Levi's. I'm very interested to see who's going to win these Levi's. I'm I'm excited for best trade. That's the one uh, that, that... I'm most, most interested in that's being announced on Monday. So uh, we'll discuss that. We'll obviously have more Eagles topics uh, to dive into and what they should do in the draft. You didn't get into what they should do with the six pick tonight. So we'll do uh, a lot with that tomorrow as well. Um, and check in on spring training, Philly spring training. We, we're more of a giant show. Uh, but we'll dive into Philly, Philly spring training uh tomorrow as well. Thanks to Mike Angelina for producing. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP.